With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Among your many options for New Year's resolutions and fresh starts, dry January is a thing, which means a month-long break from alcohol. It turns out that doing this even briefly has some health benefits, and NPR's Allison Aubrey is here to talk about it. Hi there, Allison. Hey, Steve. I should just mention, for the record, that I've already blown it. Okay, okay so well, it's not going to be a dry January for me. It's never too late to start. I could just start chance. a month from today if you I could. wanted to, but some people are already really doing this, right? Is That's this a right. widespread thing? Well, you know, it's something that is really gaining traction. I would say that even though we are still a nation of drinkers, the majority of Americans drink some alcohol, there's a lot of curiosity about sobriety. If you look at what has happened in the last 18 months, there's been a surge in new non-alcoholic beers on the market, Mm -hmm. distilled spirits that are alcohol-free. There are sober social clubs and meetups, and it's all part of what's being called the sober curious movement. So I'm just people... thinking of someone going, I wonder what it would be like to be sober. Well, I mean, it's just fascinating. Yes, anyway. um, it's, a, it's a thing. And is it in January, I'm just guessing, because people maybe have had a little bit too much to drink over the holidays the month preceding? I think so. I mean, lots of us feel that overindulgence of the holiday. And I think the 
big thing is when you try to take on something like a whole month without drinking, you kind of have to have a strategy to get started, right? I mean, if you're going to stick with something, you need a clear reason for doing it, and you need a plan to get there. So I think the very first step here is to simply assess your relationship with alcohol. Why do you want to take a break? Are you looking for more energy? Are you just feeling overindulgent? The way we just said, you know, write down these things in a journal or just in the memo section of your phone. Also, do some basic accounting. Write down how much you drink, when you drink, and how about this question: Why do you drink? I spoke to this woman named Blair Benson. She's in her 30s. She lives in Rochester, New York, where she says the winters are long and cold. And she says when she asked herself all of these questions, what she came up with was a pretty simple answer. One day, I realized honestly there was just a lot of boredom going on, and thought, well, this is kind of silly. Maybe there's something else to do. Right. I mean, partially, people do drink out of boredom. I mean, alcohol is so ubiquitous in our culture. Not only do we drink at weddings and funerals and ball games and office happy hours, it's not that uncommon to drink for no reason at all, just sort of on autopilot. And so, when you put the brakes on that and you give yourself a chance to reflect on the behavior. Blair Benson says she realized after a break she kind of felt better, not drinking. She didn't wake up feeling bloated or hungover. I mean, my skin tone improves. I have a lot more energy. My joints feel better. Like everything just feels so much better. Mentally, your head's clear. You don't have anything fogging up your brain. Can you get that much improvement from just a month of abstaining? Well, you know, I think it depends on on how much you've been drinking. But there's now several studies that have documented the effects of going dry for just a month. You know, in one study, it was done in Britain, a big drinking country. It included about 850 men and women. These were healthy young adults. They all tried. Dry January. At the end, sixty-two percent said they slept better.、Hmm. About half said they lost weight, and many reported feeling more energetic.、And、then, separately, researchers have evaluated liver function among people who drink kind of regularly and then stop for a while. I talked to Aaron White. He's a Senior scientific advisor at the NIH Institute that studies alcohol, and he says the results have been kind of surprising. You don't have to drink a lot to tax the liver. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to damage the liver, but it means that the liver has to work harder to do what it does. So there is early evidence that even taking a break from a fairly You know, moderate level of intake leads to what appears to be some improvements in just the ability of the liver to do what the liver does. So, a kind of growing body of evidence that this could be beneficial. Now, on the surface, it sounds easier to take a break for a month than to say, "I'm never going to drink again," which sure, is a big commitment that some people make. Of course, but is it also hard to just take a break for a month for some people? Well, you know, think of it this way: we are our habits, right? So, one really useful strategy is this: when you're Trying to take something out of your life, you're much more likely to succeed if you have something to replace it with.、Hmm. So, if you're in the habit of, say, having a glass of wine every night at six, then for your dry month, replace it with I don't know a walk, a yoga class, you know, take up a new hobby. For Blair Benson, she says she started training for triathlons.、Whoa. She's now a competitive triathlete, and she says it's given her a whole new focus. Honestly, picking up that sport helps so much. Instead of going out to the bar, you're going out for a run or out for a bike ride, and you give yourself more of a sense of purpose. And by the end of it, you're going to feel better for it. 
kind of self-reinforcing cycle there. You get more energy because you're not drinking. You use the energy in the triathlon. Absolutely. Now, I mean, it doesn't have to be a major thing. Not all of us can go become competitive triathletes. But in you a can, month. In a month. Yeah. But, you know, you can try something simple. You know, pick up the paintbrush, get out your knitting needles, join a club, take a class. You know, anything that might replace or just disrupt this routine of drinking. What happens in February? Well, you know, I spoke to a lot of people who tried dry January, and something I heard over and over again is that a dry month really helps people to do what I'd call a reset and re-examine their relationship with alcohol. Some people told me that over the course of the month, they realized they didn't like the hold that alcohol had over them. One listener described his realization to me that he'd been using alcohol as, quote, a numbing agent, and he told me not drinking made him kind of show up for his life, feel more present. So he says he might stop for good. A lot of other people told me that, look, a one-month break helped them to kind of set a new habit and drink a little less. That's definitely the case with Blair Benson. I definitely don't drink as much as I used to. So I will have a, a drink on like Friday nights, but it's nothing like it used to be. So rather than going out to the bar out of boredom, she says she's much more mindful and she feels better for it. I was going to end this report by saying cheers, but... Um... <laughs> hey, look, you can cheers. You can toast with some seltzer water. You don't have to have alcohol in the glass to feel a sense of celebration. Well, then cheers. Cheers. Allison, thanks so much. Thank you. That's NPR's Allison Aubrey. If you do want to start this, even a little late, you can find more tips and strategies at NPR Life Kit, which is at NPR.org. Medical Apartheid. The dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. Earlier in the program, we mentioned the latest drop in cancer deaths. One of the many reasons for that is the rise of personalized medicine and an ever-expanding genetic database. Miles O'Brien looks at the larger hopes for that field and the serious questions and risks surrounding it as well. It's part of our ongoing coverage on the leading edge of science, technology, and medicine. There's something serious. It's right there at the top of the page. It's not like, like most of the 10 million people who have signed up for 23andMe. Jessica Algazi saw the do-it-yourself glimpse into her DNA as little more than a lark. I honestly had no idea what they were testing for. I just thought maybe we'd meet some cousins we don't know. I, maybe we'd find some things out, but I literally didn't even look into it. But the results unexpectedly led her to the intersection of heredity and health and a stunning prognosis. I saw right at the top of the page, something bad's there. And I look at it and I, oh, God, this isn't good. The grim report, her DNA includes a BRCA1 mutation. 72% of women who have it will develop breast cancer before age 80. 44% will get ovarian cancer. It was a devastating surprise. I had no family history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, nothing to justify being sent for a BRCA test. And it wouldn't have been covered by insurance because I didn't have the right, you know, I didn't have the family history, nothing. So, you know, I've kind of was somebody that fell through the cracks. A Hollywood entertainment lawyer, Jessica knew well the story of actress Angelina Jolie who shocked many people by choosing to have a double mastectomy in 2013 after discovering she carries a mutated BRCA gene. So Jessica faced a momentous decision enabled by technology that is moving fast from the laboratory to our lives. 
It's called precision or individualized medicine. Individualized medicine for us is really understanding as much about each individual patient as we possibly can. Keith Stewart runs the Center for Individualized Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Is this a revolution? I think it is. I think it's transformative. It's, it's really a, a paradigm shift in how we think and manage cancer. Here at Mayo, they are helping find the genetic needles in the haystack that cause cancer and other genetic diseases. They built a huge biorepository for the National Institutes of Health's All of Us initiative. The goal? Sequence the full genomes of one million Americans. When you get to the day where you have this, the, this repository of a million genomes, that's a very powerful tool for science, isn't it? It's going to be an amazing tool for scientists and researchers for years, decades to come. It is an ambitious undertaking. Our genome consists of three billion distinct data points that are assigned the letters ATGC. By anonymizing and analyzing this rich trove of data, they hope to reveal the nuanced genetic interplay that is at the root of disease. The long-term promise? Inherited diseases, like cancer, detected while they still can be cured. But in the short term, genetic insight is already saving lives. It allows doctors to tailor medications to their patients, protecting them from adverse reactions and maximizing the efficacy of drugs aimed at fighting arthritis, high cholesterol, depression, HIV, and more. Really, this is the camel's nose coming under the tent in terms of genomics being right at the bedside. Richard Winchelbaum is a professor of medicine and pharmacology at Mayo and a pioneer in the field of pharmacogenomics, which is focused on the interplay between genes and drugs. Now we can scan across the whole genome and we find all kinds of genes that play a role in variation in drug response that we would have never imagined. Where the world is going to go, I think, is preemptively to have that kind of genetic information parked in your electronic health record. Direct-to-consumer genetic testing services like 23andMe are pushing this trend. It's as simple as spitting into a tube, sealing it up, and shipping it off. A few weeks later, the results confirmed a lot of what I knew. The big surprise... I have an unusually high number of Neanderthal genes. It explains so much. But most important, the test uncovered no genetic diseases. Emily Drabant conley is 23andMe's Vice President of Business Development. I think a good way to think about it is we're a great screening tool. We're looking at lots of different, you know, over 90 different health conditions. Um, and you're, you're getting all that information. And then some of those things may require additional follow-up with a doctor. At first, 23andMe offered health reports without any federal regulation. But it is now an FDA-approved tool for assessing the risks for 13 diseases. But it's important to understand its limits. Our DNA has 3 billion pairs of letters, and 23andMe only reads 600,000 of them, or 0.02%. It's like reading a book, but only every 5,000th letter. But DNA is 99.9% .9 identical in every human, so nearly all of the letters in this book are the same for everyone. The letters that vary from person to person are called single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs. 
So 23andMe focuses on a subset of SNPs. It's more practical and much cheaper than reading the whole genome. The things that we are looking at in DNA are the things that we know change between people. They differ, and that's why we've chosen them. But buyer beware, and consider the story of Matt Fender. In 2013, he bought a 23andMe kit, but he didn't settle for the standard genetic report from the company. He uploaded his raw DNA data to a third-party website that compares the genetic report to hundreds of scientific papers. The report delivered a grim prognosis that he had a mutated gene that carries a very high risk of Alzheimer's disease. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, like I can totally see this really grim future where in, you know, a couple decades at most, I'm going to be like late stage Alzheimer's. And I was just in shock. Almost overnight, he changed his lifestyle. He started running regularly and eating healthier foods. But after retesting, he learned it was a false positive five weeks later. He doesn't carry that particular mutation. He claims 23andMe made the mistake. While the company doesn't deny a SNP was misread, it warns downloading the raw data and using third parties carries additional risk. Some of those third parties have done a disservice, um, potentially, by, by not always having accurate information or interpretations. We can't control what they say. Um, you know, I sort of feel like it's up to consumers. Like, if you want to take your data file somewhere and have it interpreted, you need to know the risks of that. We're not going to be paternalistic and say you can't do it. Um, but, but people need to be careful. This is what Jessica Algazi did. And once her doctors confirmed the 23andMe report, she made the decision to have a prophylactic double mastectomy and the removal of her ovaries and fallopian tubes. She has no regrets. If you don't have the surgery, that means every single time you're going in for mammograms and ultrasounds and you're just going to be freaking out that much more every single time. So for me, it was a no-brainer. So what began as a fun way to learn about heritage and traits became something deadly serious. They quite possibly saved my life. At the Mayo Clinic, they hope stories of pre-disease detection and prevention like Jessica's will become routine. I think if people are involved in their health, they understand more about it and it's part of their health record, I, I think that can't be bad. As more people sign up and the biorepository fills up, the collective DNA database is growing fast. It might sound like a scary Big Brother overreach, but proponents insist all this data will remain anonymized. And the risk to privacy come with a huge potential reward. Researchers are convinced patterns are likely to emerge, making medicine more precise, predictive, and preventative. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Miles O'Brien in Rochester, Minnesota. Artificial intelligence has made its way into the stock market, our phones and our shopping carts. Movie theaters are next. Warner Brothers has signed a deal with a company called Synalytic. It's a startup that claims its algorithms can predict how successful a film will be. 
and Synalytic isn't the only company in the field. James Vinson has written about a few of them. He's a reporter for The Verge uh, with an amusing professional bio. I cover machines with brains despite being a human without one. James Vinson, welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right. How do these companies do what they say they can do? So they work like pretty much every other machine learning application out there in that they are fed a lot of data and then they look for patterns in that data. It's kind of as simple as that. Synalytic, for example, will look at the historical data related to a film. So I had a sort of tour of the software from the CEO of Synalytic and he kind of showed me the interface for how the software works. And it's, you know, it's exactly like looking at sort of the Wikipedia page for a film. You have description about what it's about, who it's starring, where it's going to be released, and you can just literally swap in some of these elements so if you want to see if you know Scarlett Johansson is going to work for the lead role you can just swap her in and you can see what that does to the predicted uh, revenues in different countries any evidence it works yeah, so that's the really, really tricky question. If you ask these companies, of course, they will tell you, yes, it works. We can tell you which films are going to be a success. If you look at the sort of uh, the scientific literature on it, it's a bit of a hazy picture. They will tell you that, yes, there are some predictions that can be made, but they're not always particularly uh, insightful. They might be something very obvious, like if you put Tom Cruise in your movie, your movie is going to do pretty well at the box office. If it's a big action film in the summer, then it's also going to do pretty well. Um, So there is a question to what degree are these important or even useful insights or are they just kind of confirming what movie studios already know? And what does this mean for the whole issue of diversity in Hollywood, right? You're feeding in data that hasn't yielded uh, very diverse products. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge problem. Machine learning is in some ways fundamentally conservative. It learns from past data and so it's going to repeat the patterns it's seen in the past. In the case of Hollywood, then, it's going to repeat the pattern of undiverse casting. It's a big problem in many areas of AI, and I'm not sure how well it's being considered within Hollywood. What do you know about how Warner Brothers is planning to use this software? So a source inside Warner Brothers told me that they're mainly going to be using it for marketing and distribution, not necessarily uh, to involve it in the green lighting process for films. That means they'll still be using AI, they'll still be using algorithms, but it'll be looking at stuff like what's the best audience to target for a certain film? And, you know, how do we best target that that audience? What sort of trailers work for them? What sort of images work for them in posters? Isn't there an aspect of creativity that machines can't capture, right? I mean, a screenwriter on Twitter pointed out that the Marvel franchise was basically built on the decision to cast Robert Downey Jr., who at the time, as this Twitter uh, writer describes it, a middle-aged actor not long out of rehab (laughs) and prison. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like a total cliche, but really it's very true. The data can only tell you what the data can capture. It can't tell you about how the film was executed. You know, it can't tell you about what the shots was like. It can't tell you about the creative choices made by the producer. And if you speak to these startups, they will be pretty upfront about that. They'll say that their tools are mainly supposed to be assistive. They're there to crunch the data and give you insights that humans might miss. But ultimately, the final call is with the studios. So it can't necessarily prevent, say, a remake of Cats. I don't think anything could have prevented a remake of Cats. From what I hear, (laughs) Cats was a force of nature that just sort of dropped into the collective consciousness and uh, did its damage. James Vincent is a reporter for The Verge. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. That's why we have to think as black people. Stop singing and dancing and start thinking. Thinking and reading. I say reading is more important than watching TV. 
A controversy over how people of color are depicted in romance novels reached new levels this week. It has led to mass resignations at the trade group Romance Writers of America. The group even canceled its annual awards contest because it says many in the romance community lost faith in its ability to administer the contest fairly. Today, the group announced that the president and executive director have stepped down. This is a billion-dollar-plus industry, and to explain the controversy, we're joined by NPR's Karen Grigsby-Bates. Hi, Karen. Hey, Ari. Start at the beginning. Where did this controversy uh, start? Well, it started when uh, Courtney, Courtney Milan, who is a biracial writer, she's Chinese and white. She's a romance writer who's done very well for herself. She's ended up on the New York Times bestseller list, USA. Today, um, she's been a steadfast advocate for more diversity in RWA, in its leadership, and in a way it evaluates and makes its awards. And she's also a frequent presence on social media. And last summer, she tweeted about a book by a white author, Catherine Lynn Davis, who had some problematic descriptions of Chinese and half-Chinese women in her romance, Somewhere Lies the Moon. Milan was offended, and she tweeted the offended passages were an effing racist mess. Davis and her publisher took offense because they said it could be professionally harmful to them, and they asked RWA's ethics committee, of which Milan at the time was a chair, to do something about it. And how did that complaint blow up into this massive upheaval at RWA? Well, RWA, in answer to the request that it do something about this, convened an ethics panel that was not comprised of the actual ethics committee. Uh, As I said, Milan had stepped down after hearing there was going to be an investigation because she didn't want there to be a conflict of interest. So the committee met and made its decision confidentially, and its conclusion was that Milan should be suspended for a year, sanctioned, and not allowed to hold any leadership positions in RWA ever again, which was weird because she'd recently been given a service award for her contributions to the organization. So from this investigation and confidential decision, there has been this this huge blow-up, leadership turnover, cancellation of awards. How, How did we get to that point? Well, the conclusion of the ethics committee or the sub-ethics committee, whatever it was, got leaked. And immediately there was a huge blow up on social media. A lot of romance writers of color uh, started a hashtag saying, I stand with Courtney. Uh, There were a lot of white uh, romance writers who were allies who said, no, this is ridiculous. This is just unacceptable how it was done. It wasn't nearly transparent enough. This is no, no, no. Uh, Many people resigned, including several members of the board, which happened to have been the most diverse board RWA had ever had. And now we've gotten to the point that um, several big publishers, including the five biggest publishers in romance, have pulled out of the annual convention, which will happen, I guess, in San Francisco in July. They were like, you know, given the controversy, given the way it was handled, given a whole bunch of things, we're not doing that this year. Karen, with just 30 seconds left, without leadership, without annual awards, how does this group go forward? That's a really good question. And we're all going to have to watch that because we don't know right now. That is Karen Grigsby-Bates. She is a senior correspondent for NPR's Code Switch podcast. Thanks, Karen. You're welcome. A terrible thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. 
The Trump administration wants to make it easier to approve big new infrastructure projects, think oil pipelines and highways. A proposal announced today would limit the environmental reviews for them. And in some cases, agencies likely won't have to consider how the projects will contribute to climate change. NPR's Jeff Brady reports environmental groups plan to challenge it. The National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, turned 50 years old on New Year's Day, but its future could look very different from its past. We'll cut the federal permitting timeline for major projects down to two years, and ideally we're going to try and get even less than that. That's much shorter than the four to seven years on average it takes now. At the White House, supporters stood behind the president, some in construction vests and others wearing cowboy hats. Today's announcement was part of Trump's effort to limit and roll back environmental regulations to boost the economy. But this is just the beginning. We'll not stop until our nation's gleaming new infrastructures made America the envy of the world again. It used to be the envy of the world, and now we're like a third world country. It's really sad. Beyond oil and gas and construction, other industries also support the changes to NEPA regulations. Jennifer Houston is president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Her members are subject to NEPA reviews for things like grazing livestock on public land. These reforms are very exciting. Uh, They will streamline the process, reduce duplication, allow more local control, and let our cattlemen and our beef producers going back to doing what they do best, and that's raise high-quality beef to feed the world. Environmental groups, though, say these changes will hurt the country in the long run. The National Environmental Policy Act was designed to make government decisions more transparent. It requires federal agencies to consider and publish the environmental effects of projects before approving them. The law also gives the public information about how decisions were made and an opportunity to comment on them. The Trump proposal places new limits on virtually every element of the law. It could even exclude from review projects like oil pipelines that are mostly funded with private money. And agencies may only have to consider the environmental effects of building the pipeline, not the climate-changing consequences of burning all the oil that would flow through it. Steve Scheima with the group Earth Justice says the changes also would make it more difficult to plan for the effects of climate change. Without NEPA and a robust consideration of climate change, we're not going to be building projects that are going to be able to withstand increased flooding, uh, increased wildfires, and more extreme weather. Among the proposed changes, the Trump administration wants to give companies a greater role in conducting environmental reviews, perhaps even allowing them to do the reviews with oversight from an agency. Christy Goldfuss with the Center for American Progress was an environmental official during the Obama administration. It's baffling that the Trump administration thinks handing the keys of environmental review to big polluters is going to pass muster. These are just proposed changes. The public will have at least 60 days to comment. There will be public hearings in Denver and Washington, D.C. Environmental groups likely will challenge them in court, which means they almost certainly wouldn't take effect until after next November's election. And if President Trump loses re-election... A Democratic president likely would abandon this proposal altogether. Jeff Brady, NPR News. While using Fallujah as a base to attack the surrounding area in Baghdad, the insurgents spent considerable time fortifying the city so they could withstand another attack. They stockpiled ammo and weapons, prepared IEDs and fortified houses. Mines were planted and roads closed off so they could be used for ambushes. Rat holes were created in compound walls, allowing insurgents to move from one house to another, avoiding streets. 
Many, if not all, of the 200 mosques in the city became fortified bunkers, since the insurgents knew that Americans respected houses of worship as sacred and therefore were reluctant to attack there. U.S. allies and the United Nations are condemning President Trump's threat to target cultural sites in Iran. Over the weekend, the president tweeted that if Tehran retaliates for the killing of a top Iranian general, the U.S. would target 52 Iranian sites. That's one for every American captured during the Iran hostage crisis. NPR's Jackie Northam reports the president's threat runs counter to international norms. Cultural treasures have long been collateral damage of conflict, and sometimes they've been deliberately targeted. The Taliban blew up Buddhist shrines in Afghanistan. ISIS destroyed parts of the ancient Syrian city of Palmyra. The U.S. has been involved in efforts to protect cultural sites in times of war, like those illustrated in the 2014 movie Monuments Men, when art experts and historians tried to save priceless artworks from the Nazis. We want to go into a war zone and tell our boys what they can and cannot blow up. That's the idea. If you would just read the orders. I'll tell you what these orders say. Don't knock out Colonel the building. Do not interrupt me, Lieutenant. In 1954, nations, including the U.S., signed the Hague Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict. Kelly Magsiman is a former National Security Council and Pentagon official under both the George W. Bush and Obama administrations. She says the Hague Convention is one of several measures that would make it illegal for the Trump administration to target cultural sites in Iran. It would be a violation of the, the Geneva Convention Protocol 1. It would be a violation of the 1954 Hague Convention. And it would also be a violation, uh, importantly, of U.S. law and a violation of the DOD Directive on Law of War. But there is a waiver in the Hague Convention which would allow a nation to target cultural property out of military necessity. In other words, if a country is camouflaging weapons or fighters within a cultural site. Magsiman says then the U.S. military would have to make a broader calculation. I'm pretty certain that that calculation would err on the side of avoiding targeting a major cultural uh, or historical site. I mean, that is, those are the kinds of things that the Taliban does, that ISIS does. Uh, it's not what we do as the United States of America. That didn't stop President Trump from doubling down on his threat, even after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo seemed to walk it back. Here he is on ABC's This Week program. We'll behave lawfully. We'll behave inside the system. We, we always have and we always will. The U.S. military in the past has taken care with its targeting. The Defense Intelligence Agency has worked with the U.S. Committee of the Blue Shield to help educate troops about the obligations under the Hague Convention. The committee, a nonprofit organization, produced cards for U.S. troops on the ground in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Egypt, says its president, Nancy Wilkie. Some of the cards say things like, if you notice a mound that has pottery coming out of it, don't collect anything, report it to the authorities, because the military is often out in places where archaeologists haven't even been in an effort to, to do a survey of archaeological sites. Wilkie says her group hasn't been able to document the cultural sites in Iran. It's just Iran is huge, and there are so many cultural sites, anywhere between five and 10,000 sites, I would suspect. That includes 22 UNESCO World Heritage Sites, some as grand as the ancient ruins of Persepolis. Today, Iran's ambassador to UNESCO met with its general director to discuss President Trump's threats and the need to protect cultural treasures for future generations.
Jackie Northam, NPR News, Washington. I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But, you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends, and I see them interact, uh, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. The Woodford County head coach who found a racial slur written on his car after a game says he's trying to move forward. Today, the district announced a student at the high school is being held responsible. ABC 36's Alexis Larson talked to the coach today about finding the slur. It was raining Friday night after the Woodford County girls basketball game. Head coach and former Kentucky Wildcat Eric Daniels was driving when he noticed something written on his back window. I asked my children, um, could they recognize what it said and um, they looked at it and, and, and it was the n-word. Daniel says he pulled over, took a picture and told his principal what happened on school property. It's kind of sad to be in 2020 and we're still going through these type of things. The Woodford County School District says it took action right away. The superintendent says it worked alongside the Versailles Police Department and with surveillance video they were able to find the student responsible and take disciplinary action. I can't say enough either uh, about how Coach Daniels has responded to this. Um, he has shown such grace. That student is under 18, so legally police can't reveal the person's age, name, or gender. That's not what this community is about, and that's not where we're going to have. We have love, peace, and harmony here, and we want to keep it that way. Coach Daniel says the word is always tough to see and hear, but it isn't unfamiliar. He says during his basketball career, here and overseas, he was called the N-word. It's been something that I've been dealing with and, and, and try to just move forward. Seeing the word this time was harder for him because he had his four kids in the car. That was the toughest part about it, trying to explain it to 11 and 12-year-old kids. Now that the student has been caught, Daniel says all he hopes is this person can learn and grow. We're all people. We're all just trying to get along, trying to live our day to day. Coach Daniel says it's time to move forward, but he is going to address the issue not only with his kids, but also with his team. Reporting in Woodford County, Alexis Larson, ABC 36 News. You get that associate's degree, okay? Then you get your bachelor's. Then you get your master's. Then you get your master's, master's. Then you get your doctrine. You go, man. And then when everybody says quit, you show them those degrees, man. When everyone says, hey, you're not working, you're not making any money, you say, you look at my degrees and you look at my life. Yeah, I'm 52. So what? Hate all you want, but I'm smart. I'm so smart. And, and I'm in school. These guys out here um, making money all these ways. and I'm spending mine to be smart. You know why? Because when I die, buddy, you know what's going to keep me warm? That's right. Those degrees. We're reaching the end of the college application season. While some families can afford private tutors and college counselors for their kids, others struggle just to pay the application fees. It can cost over $100 per college to apply. And there's another barrier to entry for kids like Kayla Sasser, who grew up in a rural town in California. Some of the questions they encounter on the applications. Uh, what's your favorite type of publication? Um, I don't receive any daily newspapers. Even when I lived with my mother, we didn't 
have any, and if she did, she'd probably just throw it away. Sasser's life at home has been unstable. Her mom kicked her out of the house, and now she's living with friends as she applies to a range of schools, including elite universities like Columbia and Stanford. Marissa Baradaran has been helping her. Something to know about Kayla is when she walks in a room, she just kind of lights it up. Baradaran is now a law professor at the University of California, Irvine, but she was the first in her family to go to college, and she remembers struggling through her own applications. So Kayla's story struck a nerve, and last week Baradaran posted on Twitter about some of the hidden hurdles in the college application process. I know that universities at least give lip service to, we want first-generation students, we want, you know, diverse students from all sorts of backgrounds. But then when I see a question that says, you know, what exhibits and museums and, and, and theater and film productions, and I'm sitting here with someone like Kayla, who to me seems like exactly the type of person Stanford should be looking for, um, there's a huge disconnect. And it has a lot to do with race and class. And I think it has a lot to do with the people devising these applications, not understanding um, the reality of what it's like to not live in, you know, whatever elite community that a a lot of of them and, and I, you know, will consider myself now are part of. And I think when you are 18, filling out a college application that asks for that, you are are likely to blame yourself and say, oh, well, I should have taken advantage of this. And what, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't know how to answer this question? Even simple ones like, tell us what you're most excited about, you know, coming to Stanford or Harvard. How, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to go to Stanford. I didn't go to Stanford. Certainly, Kayla, how's Kayla supposed to know? So given those gaps that you've identified, I mean, how do you advise someone like Kayla to answer these questions? Yeah, the way that Kayla answered them, I think, on the applications was to say, honestly, uh, this is my town. This is my situation. So I don't have access to those things. And I think that that's that's a great response. And and I think the admissions officers need to phrase better questions. And we did see some good questions. So, for example, um, there's a one question that was, explain to me what you did the last two summers. You know, and in which case Kayla could say, I worked full time, you know, to support myself because here's my situation. You know, for someone like Kayla, Kayla, who has an excellent GPA and great scores, and she's been on track and cross country, and she's been managing a very tricky home situation. I, I actually think someone like that is going to, you know, crush it at Stanford. So I think it is um, something that we need to talk about. And I, you know, I came from a family who didn't know how to maneuver this process at all. And so that's, I think, why I wanted to sort of make people aware, hey, to my colleagues in the academy, we got to do this better. And to all the other people who are first generation, like this is not your fault. This is a problem of the system. Marissa, you've been talking about your the, the challenges you faced yourself. Do you think the process has changed since then? Is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? I think it's gotten harder because the financial costs have skyrocketed. And I think there are more people now who just cannot afford any college. I think there are fewer colleges that are affordable. And I think there are more um, class barriers. And just things like admissions fees? Admissions fees, just tuition, room and board access. Um, You have two different Americas, essentially, right? You've got people who are very connected and you have people who are not connected. And I think there's just whole swaths of the country that don't have access to this stuff. And, And this is the class issue. It's a geography issue, but it also has to do with race. Kayla, we've talked so much about the sense of inaccessibility about some of these college admissions essays. What kinds of questions do you think would help you to tell a college your story? What would you want to write about if you could choose? 
I think what I'd want to write about is showing how what I've done with what I've got, like all the community service I've done or how much work I've had to put in. I know we get like a personal essay, but you only have so many words to um, express everything you've done in four years. And I don't feel like the questions they ask properly um, show what you've experienced in those years. And Kayla, you haven't had the easiest path through high school, but you are applying to college now. What are you planning to study? Where do you hope to be in a few years? Well, I've really been interested in um, people and how people live in different places across the world, like how a 17-year-old like me may spend their time throughout the day on the opposite side of the planet. So I've wanted to study international affairs and languages. Well, good luck to you, Kayla. Thank you. That's Kayla Sasser and her friend Marissa Baradaran. Thanks to both of you for talking with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. The public school. We call it the killing fields. <laughs> we turn now to education because in California, fewer than 10% of teachers are men of color. And that's a problem because they could play a significant role in helping to close the achievement gap for black and brown boys. As part of our California Dream collaboration, KQED's Vanessa Rancaño reports. Today in third period, English teacher Daryl McKellar has a writing assignment for his ninth grade students. So this is what I'm asking you guys to do. What does racism mean to you? How is racism related to uh, the apartheid that's discussed in the text? They seem sort of, kind of interested, but some phones are out. How many people have experienced? Let's do it this way. You've experienced something because you're black or brown. You've experienced something. Hands go up around the room. All the students in this veteran teacher's classroom in South Central L.A. are black or Latino. Uh, what you got, Jaquan? Jaquan says two days ago he was at a store in Santa Monica. They were just following me around, like keeping a close eye on me, seeing if I was going to steal something. McKellar tells the students about a time in college when a classmate made a racist comment about him. I could have flipped out before what? Because if I, if I flip out, then what? I get kicked out of class, can't graduate, then you would never have me in front of you. He gets a smile out of the students. They keep their eyes on him. And I don't want you guys to, to be to be part of that, oh, well, you know, I'm black, I'm brown, uh, I ain't going to make it, I go to school in the hood. Mm -mm, I call BS on that. Don't make, do not make your life hard. Make McKellar's life ability to connect with his students, to relate to and understand their experiences, makes a difference. When students of color have teachers of color in classrooms like this one, there's strong evidence they learn more, finish high school at higher rates, and are more likely to aspire to college. When you see someone in front of you that looks like you, and you can relate to what they're talking about. And they can code switch and come come to where you're at and then come back out and say, like, see, I just jumped somewhere else, but I was just there with you. So what does that mean that you need to do? And I say, I got to jump with you. So For almost my whole school year life, I only had, like, woman teachers. Student Elijah Foster says having a teacher like McKellar is still a pretty new experience. His classmate, Tyler Banner, says it's just different. It feels like the man expects more out of you. See him as, like, the homie, like, a close friend, like, as in, like, trustable. McKellar knows he can play a critical role for his students. 
That's why he's sharing his 20 years' experience in the classroom with aspiring male teachers of color. He's part of a program at a handful of California State University teachers' colleges that could be a model for getting more men of color into teaching. You know, because sometimes we could sit in a classroom and it's 25 young ladies and it's only like three of us. 28-year-old Fabian Flores is in the Future Minority Male Teachers of California program. He says he almost quit early on after a veteran teacher warned him away from the profession, saying it's underpaid, undervalued. I was kind of like on the ropes, like, yeah, should I continue? Yes, no. Man, I don't really belong, even. He says having McKellar's guidance and a support group of other men of color gave him the confidence to believe that not only does he belong, he's really needed. But he had another problem. He was scrambling to pay for school. And that's not unusual, especially for students of color, who are disproportionately burdened by debt. The program offered Flores a $5,000 scholarship. I would not be here if it wasn't for that extra money. Now for him, it's a matter of overcoming his own doubts about what comes next. What scares me is getting a job at an elementary school where I don't have a mentor that shows me the ropes. Dominguez Hills is trying to make sure students like Flores stay on track to finish and move into classrooms as full-fledged teachers. The next challenge is actually keeping them there. In Los Angeles, I'm Vanessa Rancaño. A terrible thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. All right, now to breaking news and an alarming new discovery as we follow the toxic ooze investigation along I-696. And now it's led to another property with the potential of more toxic green ooze on Detroit's west side. Let's get out to consumer investigator Hank Winchester, who has this exclusive update. Hank, how did this new uh, property even get discovered? And Kimberly Devin, it's very concerning, very bizarre. The city of Detroit proactive today, knowing that this building was owned by Gary Sayers, and this building is a dump here on the west side. But that name obviously ringing bells because Gary Sayers is also the man that owns that building in Madison Heights where that toxic ooze was discovered. Now here in Detroit, investigators making their way inside from the fire department and the building inspector's department. What they found, several 8 by 10 concrete pits in those pits a substance that appears at least on visual inspection to match the substance that was found in madison heights as you can imagine very alarming very concerning that's why eagle and the epa notified right away we had an opportunity to speak with the city just a short time ago take a listen yeah it's similar we we don't know uh we we're going to leave that up to eagle to determine exactly what it is and we're going to work hand in hand with them to address this matter uh, again, on visual inspection, the substance that is found in this building that was dumped appears very similar to the toxic substance in Madison Heights. That's why crews were out here just a short time ago putting notices up along this building, urging people to stay away. We're told fencing will soon go in place. And as that happens, the testing is going to get underway to find out if there is, in fact, a match and a connection to Sayers. We're live here on the west side. Hank Winchester, back to you. California. 
A state report out this week found that police are stopping black drivers at higher rates than whites and Latinos. A report from the Racial and Identity Profiling Advisory Board said black drivers were also searched nearly three times as often and accounted for 15 percent of all stops, though they only make up about 6 percent of the state population. For more on the report and what happens next, we turn to Brian Williams. He's the executive director of the Sheriff Civilian Oversight Commission, which aims to improve transparency and accountability between communities and the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Brian, welcome to Take Two. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, before we get into the findings, can you uh, start off by telling us why this report was conducted to begin with? report was conducted pursuant to a 2015 law, uh, which was originally signed by then-Governor Brown, which required initially the state's largest law enforcement agency to collect uh, data on the uh, race and uh, orientation or perceived orientation of folks that they stopped. By 2023, every agency in California is going to have to report this data. Now, this is the first time, though, that the stop data was recorded. That's correct. So this law has been in effect since 2015. There have been two previous reports uh, presented by the RIPA board. This is the first year that the data has been compiled. And while it is shocking, it's not shocking at the same time. So, okay, yeah, I was going to get to your reaction to this because, yeah, uh, black drivers at much higher rates than whites and Latinos being stopped. Uh, What was your reaction when you first found out and, and that of your colleagues on the commission? Well, I can tell you, as an African-American male driving, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, what What is surprising, I, I think, are, are the numbers that are involved here. Um, 15% of all stops in California being African-Americans, when we're only 6% of the population, I think is a pretty striking number. Of course, we have to go back and take a look at what this data is really telling us and uh, how accurate those figures are. But it really, I think, is a codification of a perception that we've known for a while, that driving while black is not just a theory. It is, in fact, a fact of life. So I want to ask you about that because so this this feeling of like, well, we've known that for the longest time. These numbers just support it. I mean, is is that something that when you present this kind of information to police or in this case, the sheriff's department, what kind of reaction do you get back from that? Well, we haven't had a meeting, a commission meeting, since this information has come out. It is certainly something that we're going to raise at future meetings. So I'm not quite sure what the reaction has been. I don't think the Sheriff's Department at this point has given an official statement on this, but this is something that everyone ought to be concerned with. The officers ought to be concerned with it. The community is certainly concerned with it. So the question ultimately becomes, what do we do with this? What's the next step with this? What would be the next step? Well, I think, at least for us, we're going to want to find out what the numbers are with the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. We want to find out why those numbers are as such. Is it a training issue? Is it a perception issue? Uh, are resources dedicated in certain uh, neighborhoods more so than, than others? Are there some perceived threats that the officers are seeing? Uh, are drivers driving differently when they see a, a patrol car behind them? So there are a lot of factors that go into this. Ultimately, what we want to make sure is that if there's a stop, it has to be a constitutionally mandated stop. There needs to be some reasonable suspicion for the stop. It can't be a pretextual stop. And we want everyone to go home safely. That's the ultimate issue for us. We want the member of the community to go home safely. We want the deputy to go home safely. So let's figure out why this is happening and what can be done about it. How much will bias, or at least the study of bias, we've heard about this when it comes to police for years now. How much will that factor into what happens next? Well, it's hard to say. Everyone has a bias, right? 
that that we know. Yeah. But the difference here is that you have a law enforcement official who has a constitutional right to stop someone. So if he or she is using bias in their efforts to stop someone uh, to investigate a real crime or a perceived crime, that's an issue and it's something that we have to uh, address. I've also heard a lot over the years, uh, Brian, from from police leadership that trust in the community is vital. They want to they want to improve that or at least build upon what they've already been able to do. But a report like this, what kind of impact does that have on a community of color when it comes to trusting police? Well, you know, again, this report is surprising and not surprising at the same time. This is something that has been known in the community for years. Um, certainly, I think if you if you uh, talk to folks in the community, it's, it's not going to surprise them at all. The ultimate issue, again, is what do you do about this? You know, law enforcement can only work as far as the community and law enforcement can work together. The uh, cops can't do their jobs without witnesses. People in the community have to feel safe and they have to feel confident that when they call 911, they're going to be treated as a victim and not a suspect. So I think it would behoove everyone involved here, whether you're in law enforcement or a member of the community, to take this report seriously. And let's take some steps to address those items that are pointed out in this report. Brian, one last thing, considering um, that for you and, and for a lot of people, the, the results of this report aren't that surprising. But for someone that is surprised, what would you make of someone that is surprised by something that seemingly everyone seems to know about? Well, I think I think for folks who aren't surprised, they probably haven't lived this experience or they don't live in a community where they've had to deal with deal with this very issue. For those who aren't surprised for, by it, again, it's just a codification of what they've known for a long time, that these, these stops do occur, that sometimes these stops are uh, pretextual. And again, I think for our entire community to feel safer, for us to increase the level of transparency and trust between law enforcement and the community, we're going to have to deal with this. And now we have the data to show that it is an issue, and let's figure out some ways to address this. That's Brian Williams, Executive Director of the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Commission. Brian, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to be a cop. The mother of Atatiana Jefferson died today in the same Fort Worth home where her daughter was shot and killed by police last year. Paramedics were called to the family home in the Hillside neighborhood earlier this morning. That's where Jason Allen is live for us this afternoon with the details of this story. Jason. Ken, an attorney who has been working with the family as well as a pastor, both confirmed it was Yolanda Carr who died in this home today. She had been battling health issues for some time. In fact, that's one of the reasons that Tatiana Jefferson was here at this home when she was shot in October. In the three months since Tatiana Jefferson was shot and killed by police in Fort Worth, her father and now her mother have also died. Fire, police and paramedics were all outside the family home Thursday morning after a call for an unconscious person. Yolanda Carr had been in the hospital as recently as the week before Christmas where she spoke about the officer charged with killing her daughter. He murdered my baby in my home. She wasn't doing anything in her. She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything wrong. Carr's death follows the passing of Marquise Jefferson in November. Tatiana's father had been healthy up to that point, his family said at the time, and they pointed to the crime in trying to explain his sudden death. I've never seen anybody deteriorate so fast. You know, his, his heart just was broken. Beyond the demonstrations and national spotlight brought on by the shooting, both parents had also been caught up in a tense legal battle. It delayed Tatiana's funeral and raised questions about hundreds of thousands of dollars donated in her name. Carr appeared satisfied, though, last month that Aaron Dean had been officially indicted for her daughter's death. But at least we know. <laughs> 
that justice was served and he will be accountable for murder. Family and friends have been coming and going to the house uh, this afternoon, really for most of the day. None of them have made any statements yet, however, about this latest untimely death. Live in Fort Worth this afternoon, Jason Allen, CBS 11 News. As Australia has been ravaged by one of its worst bushfire seasons in history, there is a lot of debate about controlled burns and the role that fire can play in managing fire. Aboriginal Australians used fire to manage brushlands and forests long before Britain started sending convicts to the continent in the 1700s. NPR's Jason Bobian caught up with an Aboriginal teacher who just lost his home and camp to the raging infernos. Noel Butler and his wife Trish used to run the Nuragunya Aboriginal Culture and Education Camp deep in a forest in New South Wales. But last week, an inferno swept through their canyon. Up in front of us across there, that's what's left of our house. That was a two-story A-frame house, which I built. The inferno torched the camp, their house, and the surrounding woods for miles. And what you can see now is nothing, not a single thing left. It's all absolutely, completely destroyed. The ground is now covered in powdery ash. Every tree trunk is charred black. Some of them still smolder. There's not a single green leaf left anywhere. So Butler is putting out hay for the kangaroos and chicken feed for the wallabies. Wallabies are like long-legged goats. They'll eat anything. Butler has also been burying kangaroos and wallabies that were killed in the blaze. But he's seen one large gray kangaroo still alive in the tracks of some wallabies. A few birds have returned. Butler and his wife used this place to hold camps and workshops on Aboriginal culture. They had a program for troubled Indigenous youth. School groups would come to learn about Native art, history, and food. Fire was a key issue they'd teach about. Fire in this place is our friend. Fire has been used to maintain, to look after this whole continent forever. Native peoples used what they called cool burns, low-intensity fires intended to balance the various plants and trees growing in an area. How we maintain that balance is through fire by not letting any one thing dominate something else. The eucalyptus shouldn't be allowed to overrun all the other trees. If one shrub starts to take over a grassland, it should get burned back. Aboriginal people have generations of knowledge about managing the landscape on this continent, Butler says, but they're ignored by public officials who rely on massive backburns. This week, the New South Wales Rural Fire Service Commissioner defended the large-scale controlled burns firefighters have been using. There's been a torrent of criticism over the blazes. The clearly frustrated commissioner declared the burns are necessary to try to cut back the amount of fuel available for the next blaze. But Butler says there's clearly a problem. Fires have been burning since October all across Australia, and officials say they could continue to burn for months. The place is heading for destruction. Nobody can deny, nobody can say this is just, yeah, this is normal. It isn't. Australia had its hottest and driest year on record in 2019. Butler puts the blame squarely on humans by, in his words, not respecting Mother Earth, mismanaging the land, and continuing to burn fossil fuels. I think this is a wake up call not only for Australia but for the rest of the world. You cannot just destroy the land, you cannot destroy what keeps you alive. Butler's father told him a long time ago, he says, that the white man may have to destroy himself in order to save himself. And Butler's worried that now that may be coming true. 
Jason Bobian, NPR News, New South Wales, Australia. Motherfuckers. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, The ISIS Papers. See if I can get my book here. Motherfuckers. He has a whole chapter in the book. Let me get the... Oh, found the motherfucker and the original motherfucker. 119. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, The ISIS Papers. Hmm. See if I can pull one. Might have to look for a second, but that last segment that is the ISIS papers right there oh yeah <laughs> the convict mutants and the invasion of Australia the continent and island absolutely I'll find a segment to read from that chapter before we go off the air Gusty Renegade context of white supremacy in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system worldwide system of white supremacy racism what it is how it works, what we can do to solve the problem. This is our weekly compensatory call-in, the number to dial 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again. 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate let us see convicts and their rowdy behavior in Australia got me confused Uh, before we get to listeners and all of the reports from this here week uh, start with the retreat we still didn't get our retreat recap program it has just been a blur since Christmas Eve that is the counter racist grind attempting to solve the problem trying to share some of the important significant moments from the retreat uh, while at the same time May 21 to May 24, Toronto. The Cows 2020 Counter Racist Yoga Retreat. Looking forward to doing some yoga, having some plant based meals. Chef Nadira coming to hang out north of the border. Hopefully, getting to go to the gun range again and having counter racist workshops, food workshops courteous exchange of views with other victims of white supremacy May 21 through May 24 but the retreat we just finished up in Florida wow one thing I do want to make sure I emphasize we we went to the gun range twice we did yoga in the park on New Year's Eve we meditated to bring in the so called New Year we did yoga in the rain cooked, ate lots of amazing food all of that and then some probably but we spent like a Sunday afternoon just loafing and I thought that was just as important if not more important because 
just being able to sit around with other black people more than four no arguing no conflict no complaining talk about white supremacy racism in a courteous manner where everybody doesn't necessarily agree with you know everybody's view but courteous constructive open to hearing you know different perspectives and loafed around like a little I took a picture you know I didn't I wouldn't uh, post uh, pictures of people's faces and what have you but I took a picture just because I was like wow to have a room full of black people and just napping I even think some folks said like it was it was amazing and comfortable to be able to nap I fell asleep on the sofa I'm just repeating what was said I fell asleep on the sofa listening to Neely Fuller and people discuss counter-racism and then woke back up and you know people were still talking about counter-racism and or listening to Mr. Fuller other other audio we watched uh, Dr. Welsing debate William Shockley just that alone I think having an environment and then to have Chef Nadira sprinkle in wonderful little treats I think I might have made peanut butter cookies that day we had sweet potato I know I went to get sweet potato pie at that point Um, just to be in an environment like that where you can rest comfortably nap have tasty foods relax talked about that on workplace racism the importance of replenishing from all the toxicity you heard what happened to Yolanda Carr being able to take time to nourish and replenish is extraordinarily important whites they taught that's what Dr. Cambon said he used that metaphor he said the entire planet they've turned it into a giant plantation a giant cesspool that's what we got green ooze flowing out in the streets in Detroit that's what we got it is important to try as best you can to detoxify, replenish, nourish from all of the terrorism uh, and poison uh, that whites dump on us in a variety of ways. The cow's counter-racist yoga retreat is an attempt in that vein. Second thing from the retreat, I am very appreciative. I do cook a lot, but generally I am misanthrope that is the term we had one of the folks from the retreat she got there and she said you you use that term on the program misanthrope I think that's me too <laughs> yep that is gusty misanthrope someone who does not necessarily enjoy being around a lot of people or anyone uh, so most of the time I'm cooking for myself when I'm you know talking about vegan dishes and veggie lasagna or whatever else that I've made the uh, retreat I had been saying I wanted to make sweet potato pie but I had been reluctant because I was like oh man it's just me and I don't really want to make a whole pie just for myself like that's you know seems a bit kind of leaning to the gluttonous side like if you're going to have a whole pie you should at least have you know someone you can share it with you can give half away give some slices away something uh, so I've been reluctant to do it but retreat hey now we have a whole house full of people made two pies <laughs> in fact um but yeah to get an opportunity to be able to cook and share plant-based meals much less to hear that uh some of the plant-based goodies were shared beyond even some of the folks who were at the retreat so they got to enjoy and even got to see that yes you can have sweet potato pie and it can be every bit as delicious 
as if you have all the dairy in the way you would normally uh, make it. Even I would add the sugar uh, content. Uh, I can give two, by the ways. Uh, one, I had never made sweet potato pie before. Didn't even know how to make it, which is kind of embarrassing. I remembered in making that pie, Mr. Fuller, um, he talks about learn something about everything. Try to learn at least a little bit about everything. I've said for a while, I was tubby, T-U-B-B-Y, tubby, bold-faced letters, underline, pigging out, I mean devouring sweet potato pie. I'll have my slice, your slice, and if anybody else is is not going to be here, we can steal theirs too. Uh, I never once, and I have known some folks who could make pretty tasty sweet potato pie. I never once even thought, man, I have eaten like barrels of this stuff. Maybe I should hang out and just try to learn, see, you know, some of the ingredients at least. Oh, okay, I see that, see that, okay, got that. Maybe one day I might want to make one of these for myself or somebody else. Never even thought of that. Try to learn something about every a little bit just a little bit about everything especially things that consume a good bit of your time and energy things that you seem to enjoy things of that nature you should try to learn a bit more about that anyway uh that was one but being able uh to share a little bit cook a little bit of food for other uh black people spectacular uh, with the sweet potato pies my other ad with that I'd said I'd been reluctant about making sweet potato pies uh, by myself. That changed one once I was able to make it. Wow, this is delicious. I haven't had sweet potato pie in years. I don't even remember the last time I had sweet potato pie. Like, it should not be years that I have to go without having this. I'm going to make this. And I had already purchased uh, pie shells. I was going to bring my own pie shells, organic, no crazy ingredients but decided that was, you know, unnecessary. They got pie shells in Florida, which they did. So I already have pie shells ready to go. It's supposed to snow in Seattle. That's the report. I'm teaching my yoga class on Thursday. This will all weave back to sweet potato pie. I'm teaching the yoga class on Thursday. White man suspected racist. He comes out and he says, what are your plans? This could have been a workplace racism. He says, what are your plans for the day? And I tell them the truth. I talk about that. You should already have a boundary about what you're going to share and what you're not willing to discuss. Uh, And I'm totally willing to discuss what I'm going to do with the beginning part of my Thursday because I always do the same thing on Thursday. The yoga class is at 6 a.m. It's so early. Generally, I try to take advantage of the day and go do some grocery shopping because I can be there unmolested. I don't have to be around anybody. I can just go do my thing and often be by myself in the store so I tell them that gleefully tell them that oh I'm going to go grocery shop I think I might do some uh, veggie cooking I have that in my uh, public bio like I brag about being plant based Uh, so yeah I'm going you know do some grocery shopping get some uh, veggies get ready to do some cooking it's supposed to snow uh, so I'm going to be ready to do my thing Uh, if it snows I can be in the house for a few days and have lots of yummy food Uh, it's it's not going to snow what are you talking about I said, well, they they just said that it's gonna it's gonna snow. I'm gonna have, you know, do some veggie lasagna. What I say, sweet potato pie. You know, whatever. This is it's not gonna snow. What are you talking about? And I said, well, <laughs> his partner. She gets on the phone, goes through, and says, uh, it looks maybe 
Maybe Monday, Tuesday it might snow. Maybe. So he says, it's not going to snow. That's nonsense. It doesn't snow here. If it's been cold for a few days, maybe, but it hasn't been. It's 40 degrees, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to snow at all. That's nonsense. I said, oh, all right, no problem. <laughs> I'll catch you all on Monday. I have no problem talking about the weather. Within 40 minutes, it started snowing. I cracked up laughing. I didn't expect it to snicker or uh, to stick. It certainly was not a blizzard, but I had a great chuckle uh, at that one. Be incredulous. Don't just listen uh, to what white people uh, are talking about as though they are uh, experts on everything. I can empathize with the folks in Australia as though they are experts. So anyway, uh, they still have reports. I saw today they were giving another grim forecast for Monday and Tuesday. So if it does snow, Gus T will be baking sweet potato pie veggie lasagna as long as the power doesn't go out that's really the only concern I have I'm hoping the electricity will stay on so I'll have Wi-Fi working oven we'll be doing baking and uh, thinking of things that I can cook up for the retreat in Toronto May 21 to May 24 I've said the sweet potato pie might become a staple got rave reviews uh, in Florida might be something that we can uh, do in Toronto. Might have to smuggle the sweet potatoes because I did smuggle the sweet potatoes from Seattle uh, down to Florida, so we might have to do that again. But whew, relaxation, great food, workshops, constructive exchanges with other victims of white supremacy. May 21 to May 24. And I'm minimizing Toronto is an amazing city to visit. Uh, I think B in Toronto and some of the other cows listeners who are in that city could maybe vouch uh, but it is an amazing place to visit if you have not been before especially when the weather is warm uh, I posted information on my blog yesterday with all of the details uh, price uh, the cost again is $660 US deposit of $400 due February 29th the remaining 260 May 1st price for offspring as I said I had a number uh, of parents, attempted parents uh, who scolded Gusty courteously uh, and saying that they would like to bring their offspring to a cow's retreat uh, which again is something that I had not really factored, thought about uh, when we were planning all of this uh, and they said they would like to bring their offspring uh, but that is challenging uh, with the pricing so I tried to accommodate that as well uh, for offspring 14 and under as long as we have 8 paying adults price would be 330 US uh, and the same offering you can pay half of that which would be 165 US uh, by February 29 and then the remaining 165 by May 1st If you have other questions, need other details, let me know. Uh, we do not have an exact location selected because there are a number of spots that would work in the greater Toronto area that are close to the airport. When I say close, within like 40 minutes, less than 40 minutes, most of them. Uh, so it would just depend on how many folks do we have that want to come hang out, do a little yoga eat some delicious food sweet potato pie included all plant based meals by the way 
uh, and have some counter-racist discussions, some plant-based meals discussions, and we'll see if we can get to the gun range as well. Uh, if that sounds appealing, 660 is the price. Deposit of $400 by February 29th, and then the remaining 260 by May 1. Again, information is on the blog. You can check it out if you have other questions. Drop an email until justice at gmail.com. One of the other uh, important moments from the yoga retreat, I think Blue dialed in before. He said uh, being able to go and shoot with black people. That's something that's been talked about on this program before on the compensatory call in before specifically uh, black people talking about uh, being reluctant to go to the gun range because it is a white dominated environment and they didn't want to go by themselves uh, and or if it's one person or two people they still uh, didn't you know exactly feel welcome going into that sort of environment and I can say when we went to the gun range in Florida I posted the photograph they had uh, they had one of those big cardboard cutouts life-size life-size cutouts of John Wayne in the front I think they had several they had Nazi paraphernalia all over the store Nazi warplanes and the like I think I got some of the pictures from that they had uh, a picture of a black guy who looked like he was trying to mug and rape you that was one of the targets that you could use they had a picture of uh, a nine millimeter handgun with Donald Trump's picture on it said make America great again so it was a lot of things where I can grasp why you would not feel welcome and or would not want to be uh, in that environment I totally understand (laughs) from what I saw there uh, from uh, what others have told me it's not like I've been to every gun range uh, in this part of the world but from what I have been told from others this seems to be consistent uh, with the type of environments where you would go uh, to you know a gun range gun shop that sort of thing being able to go with a group of black people I think can drastically change that I mean it's still going to be the environment that it is but I mean hey when you go with more than five people very different more than five black people males and females together males we did that both times had males and females together shooting together and the different types of guns I think Blue talked about that specifically Uh, I don't even remember all the different types of guns that we shot with we went two days and then we shot with a lot of different guns Uh, the second day uh, because we we had a a 22 we had a 9mm I think we used a a Beretta Walter PPK the Sig Sauer that was I will not forget that one wow he said uh the white man suspected race soldier who trained us. He had his concealed carry on him. Uh, he said, you should shoot. He said, I always look at people. They come in and they just buy a gun. Uh, they don't shoot with it. They don't go and try out different weapons. That's that's crazy. Like, who does that? You should go and shoot with a whole bunch. Find the one that you shoot accurately with. We talk about accuracy on this program a whole lot. He said, find the one that you shoot accurately with. You find a grip that you like, you know, where you're going to be able to consistently shoot accurately the Sig Sauer and that one is for me memorable for many reasons it starts with why was I even prompted to think about that gun to begin with racist woman 
we were in the gun shop. It was so much I could have said. The gun shop, that was one of the most significant portions of the trip for me. The gun shop, sweet potato pie, kind of napping around on a Sunday. Those are like all right there, top moments from the retreat. But the gun shop, we walk in, there was a whole white family at the gun shop gun range. And I mean, the white dad, the white mom, and it was like two or three children. When I say children, it was like she looked like she could not have been any older than, I'm going to say, five, maybe six. Very little child. She's right there in the gun shop. Matter of fact, when we came in, we saw a white family. When we came out, there was a different white family. Same dynamic. The children, all of that right there together, looking at their weapons of choice. At a different point, I think this was the first day. we. Yeah, this, this is how we ended up shooting the six hour. There was a white woman. We were coming out, and she was so excited. It was a number of white women who were there shooting. Uh, this was a different white woman. She was there. She had a purse. She was at the front. I think she was going to shoot as we were finishing up. And uh, she said, isn't it great? Didn't you have a great time? And I said, oh, yeah, it was grand. And I said, what do you shoot with? And she said, I forgot the, the weapon that she said she was going to, to do her practice with. But she says, I care. She has a concealed carry, of course. And she said, I carry. I got a Sig Sauer. My husband or whoever got her this. And she says, that's what I carry. Uh, and she loved. And I think she said she had another weapon as well. But that's not even the weapon that she was going to shoot with. But that Sig Sauer, she was very proud of. She said, that's what I have. Boom. That's my purse weapon that my husband, I think she said, got for her as a gift. I said, oh, okay, six hours. She was two thumbs up like that one. That's a metaphor. But she right on with give my give my approval of the six hours. So we went in to try it the next day. Wow. Accuracy. The white man said, find a gun that you can shoot accurately with. I think with some practice, they say it takes about a year of consistent practice to be proficient with a weapon. I've been told. I think I could be cluster accurate with that cluster accurate, meaning where you get your, your shots are pretty much in the same location looking for consistency. Oh yeah. If I had that one to practice with on a regular basis, that would be the home defense weapon of choice. And even the white instructor even said, Oh yeah. Cause we were shooting with, they're so precise. We had the uh, Sig Sauer, I believe the Sig Sauer two, two, six. He said, that's, home defense it's too large for concealed carry they do have a smaller version which i think that's the one the white woman had the smaller version of that which you could use for concealed carry but i didn't get to shoot with that i don't know if i'd have the same accuracy same field but the 226 wow just amazing wow home defense let's see we should be here on wednesday skill in action victim of racism black female uh, she that's the name of her book uh, skill in action I heard about this book from the white women I practice yoga with <laughs> that's uh, my caveat uh, that is my advisory my word of caution this is not a book that I said oh wow this reminds me of Mr. Fuller's work or Dr. Welsing's concepts not at all I found out about this book from the white women I practice yoga with. I've said the same thing consistently anytime any white people are very excited about a black person who talks about racism. I am suspicious. I am leery. That person's still a victim of racism, but it's been my view 
white people do not promote and get excited about living black people who speak accurately about racism and even rarely about deceased uh, non-white people who speak accurately about racism, white supremacy. That notwithstanding, skill in action, radicalizing your yoga practice to create a just world by Michelle Cassandra Johnson, black female. She lives in Oregon, I believe, which is rare because they don't have a lot of black people in Oregon, even though that's right. They don't have a lot of black people in Seattle either. So, Uh, but it's, you know, like three hours from where we are. But she should be here on Wednesday to discuss her book, Racism and Yoga. She has a number of uh, TED Talks and what have you. The white woman who owns the studio where I teach has an autographed copy of this book. And there was a different white woman that uh, white instructor colleague. Uh, she was talking about this book. She said they read it in her teacher training and she was all excited to talk about it. Like, man, her she said we were talking about this book in class. and Everyone just got silent. It was all white women. All everyone just got silent. Wow. It was a really challenging discussion. <laughs> I'm, I'm always leery, as I said, when I hear that, that sort of thing. But uh, we shall see Wednesday. Normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Michelle Cassandra Johnson. Uh, the sound clip that preceded the audio segment where they talked about President Trump announcing that they would attack uh, cultural sites in Iran, so-called. Uh, before that segment, I played the snippet from Chris Kyle, American Sniper, uh, his book where he talked about, you know, that they wouldn't attack religious sites. Uh, we read that back in 2014, I believe. The flagrant hypocrisy, I think they're known for attacking cultural sites, sites of worship for black. I thought Dylan Roof happened, not, and then that white teenager in Georgia, they forgot about that when 16-year-old, she was going to attack the black church. Not to mention, you know, everything else, Ku Klux Klan and other race soldiers' attacks on black people's churches. Uh, not to mention conduct throughout the continent of Africa and desecration of burial sites. That is the totality of white culture. It's not just the military. That is the totality of white culture uh, showing flagrant disregard for uh, non-white particularly or really yeah non-white in total cultural sites spiritual sites spiritual practices uh, burial sites anything sacred or important is there to be violated for race soldiers let's see I had a question and then we'll see if we can get to the callers I was thinking of uh, so-called domestic uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse. Either way, I was thinking in those situations, do you call enforcement officials? Reminded of Yolanda Carr, she lost her uh, daughter just a few months back. That was a wellness uh, check where she was shot and killed. Uh, do you call enforcement officials for domestic abuse? I was thinking yes if it's domestic abuse there's violence non-white person is being harmed you see you know directly there's evidence that a non-white person looks like very likely that they are going to be harmed are being harmed do you call enforcement officials I said I think the answer is yes and I said uh, specifically with domestic abuse I think the answer 
uh, yes, because <clears throat> I think Mr. Fuller, what does he say? Hitting gets good. Uh, and that first, he says first time, last time, because generally it's not just going to be a one time thing. Uh, it'll be again and again. That was why I was thinking logically it might be best to call enforcement officials because if this happens again, at least there's a record of this conduct. Uh, I just don't think that that's the sort of thing that should be minimized uh, in any way. Uh, If you are violent enough, you are tough enough to victimize another non-white person, male, female, child, doesn't matter, uh, then you should have no problem dealing with the woman, the Amber Geiger, Daniel Holtzclaw, you should have no problem uh, dealing with them and being violent with them. Doesn't impress me being tough with other victims, be tough with whites. But that is the question. Do folks have a code about that? If there is a domestic abuse situation, do you call the enforcement officials? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, what is your alternative for getting that situation stopped? Number again is 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Address for the blog, make sure you check the information for the Toronto Counter-Racist Yoga Retreat and we are listener supported counter racist radio when you hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com paypal button is in the top right corner much obliged for all the folks who have invested nearly 11 years i hope we have provided Uh, more than a decade of constructive accurate information on what white supremacy racism is and how it works uh, and some suggestions on what we can do to solve this problem Uh, we are also on cash app c-a-s-h dot a-p-p forward slash dollar sign the cows if you are not into any of the 21st century technology you can drop an email and we will get you a physical mailing address again enormous thanks to all the folks who have invested and kept the cows on the air nearly 11 years Uh, you can also support via our wish list at amazon.com listed under Gus T Renegade enormous gratitude to all of our investors uh, who have nabbed items I hope we have been worthy of your time and energy Uh, one of our listeners uh, wrote in comment from this here week he says attempted parents again I do not have children this would be another reason why he writes Today, I was speaking with my offspring's teacher about how she's doing in school and things we can work on at home. Brilliant parenting. And off the bus comes this young female kindergartner, race soldier, kindergartner, he said. So generally, that would be like five. Uh, Female kindergartner, race soldier, who walks up to me while I'm speaking with the teacher, looks me in my face and says, 
Hey, boy. And continues walking in the school. I stand over six feet tall and have a full beard, so it's clear this was no mistake. It froze me for a second as I was talking to the teacher, and the teacher says, with a smile, Oh, you know kids sometimes. She didn't bother to correct the child, call her back to correct it, nothing. I managed to finish up my conversation with the teacher and leave. All I could think about is how important it is for non-white people to teach their offspring about racism as early as possible because it seems like they're training theirs to practice racism very, very, very early. Uh, please correct me. Again, I don't have offspring, so maybe I have my numbers off. My uh, understanding, kindergarten is about five. About five. Barely got a mouthful of teeth at five. Definitely talk to your offspring about racism, white supremacy. I don't know if his child was there or not when this happened to observe this interaction. If she was, absolutely. You talk to them about racism, white supremacy and explaining, you know, do you see the way she talked to me, that white child explaining that? And I think a number of older people have pointed out uh, situations like that where white child has talked to them, not as a child, but that wild child, that white child talked to them as though they were a race soldier with a full understanding of their role on the plantation, even at five, six, seven, eight. Oh yeah, I got it. <laughs> I got it, nigger. I got it. Even if they didn't say that, I got it, boy. And he said this was a white girl. Mm. Anywho, number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564 nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate uh, for this broadcast specifically if we could not use metaphors that would be super appreciated uh, if we could be explicit precise about what it is that we are trying to say that would be appreciated make sure that we are not relying on analogies metaphors to articulate our thoughts uh, race soldiers are super skilled uh, at deception and one of their primary tactics they will take separate entities and compare them insist that they are identical exactly the same and frequently that is not the case at all uh, victims myself included we've been exposed to this misconduct for a long time in addition many of us are still learning uh, as such sometimes we don't have logic to articulate our thoughts views and we will substitute an analogy comparison of some sort if we could be precise exact with what it is we are trying to say that would be appreciated I will prompt about the metaphors we could take about five minutes to share your thoughts, suggestions, questions. Uh, just make sure everybody has an opportunity to speak. If you have additional questions, thoughts, uh, just let everybody get at least one chance to share. And then once they've spoken, you can come back if you have an additional question, uh, question or comment. 
Uh, if you are in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, that would be appreciated. Uh, just make sure we don't have to fight over any unnecessary noise. If you have the television on or a lot of other people are around, uh, just try to get to a quiet area so that you can speak uh, and then you can mute your line. Then if you need to speak again, you can unmute. No problem. Uh, just helps preserve the audio quality of the broadcast. Star six one. If you have thoughts, questions to share, uh, first few folks with a hand up. Line should be open. Proceed. Let's see. Hello. May I be heard? Greetings, Irie. Yes, ma'am. Salutations, everybody. Hi, Gus. Um, I was going to answer your question about the domestic uh, situation. My VGQ answer is you can. And the reason I said that is because a long, long time ago, I um, uh, well, was at work and thinking about life and everything, um, because it's really late, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to break up with my boyfriend because things are getting out of hand. So I drove over to his house to break up with him. He got mad, started yelling. He tried to grab me. I got in the car, drove off. He got in his car, followed me, hit my car from behind, left the scene. So I called the police, and the police came, and it was a non-white female officer and a white male officer around the same age. They looked like they were in their 20s. They didn't know what to do. For some reason, um, that there was an attempted, you know, murder, at least in my mind, or, or something, at least for the accident. They didn't know what to do. They didn't give them a ticket, nothing. So they called um, a supervising officer who was a white male, racist suspect. Um, and that white male officer thought that we were married. So when he got to the scene, he looked at my vehicle. He looked at the other vehicle. They explained to him what happened. He did not ask me any questions. Um, and he just started yelling out at me, why don't you get a effing divorce already? And I was like, well, sir, look at my car. I can't drive it. It's totaled. He hit me I was while I was driving. Isn't that uh, attempted murder? He was like, no one wants to hear this. This is a waste of police time. Y'all don't need to be together more. Just get an effing divorce. And then he proceeded to talk to my that boyfriend I had at the time, who I, I believe he did know and had some type of, um, uh, was showing him a favor because that boyfriend um, is uh, a product of a tragic arrangement. So my answer is you can, but it uh, you don't know what the result is going to be. I did not get justice in that situation, and I'll mute my line for now. Wow. Uh, I am so sorry that you had to endure that. Um, mm. Mm. We are in a system of white supremacy racism, so... That's why I said, that's why I asked the question. Uh, it, it certainly, we got enough examples. I mentioned Yolanda Carr before I even got to that question. There certainly are a number, uh, too many to list. Uh, incidents were calling enforcement officials for assistance. Things got drastically worse. So it is something to think about. 
Oh, what? Just one other thing I forgot to mention. I apologize. I did get my money back for the repairs that had to be done because my insurance, who under the system of racism and white supremacy, you know, this is a corporation. They have more power than little old me. So they sued his insurance and got my money back for me and themselves. Thank mm. you. That is pretty sad about the enforcement officials' behavior, but yeah, more powerful white people generally know how things, uh, the correct way to handle things. Uh, but that is that is so dangerous. That's why I said things can escalate so quickly that you know sometimes assistance, particularly trained assistance, uh, at de-escalating these types of situations would be helpful. But we are not in a system of justice. It's not like you will be calling peace. That's why. We won't be calling peace officers. You'll be calling enforcement officials. There's a difference. Amber Geiger might not necessarily de-escalate the situation. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have comments, uh, responses to any of the questions or your own suggestions, questions, uh, star six one, uh, let's see. May I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus. Um, greetings, callers and listeners. Uh, thank you again, Gus, for the platform. Uh, just answering your question off the top, I do believe that you can, um, although I, I, I also agree with you on the other side of this, where it's a very dangerous situation and you can't necessarily tell, like you expressed, what the outcome will be, regardless of how um, glaring the situation may be and um her her situation is a prime example um and i'm glad that nothing came of it as far as anything danger or hostility towards her by the police officers but it's still a situation where she didn't come out too much on top it was a, a very tricky situation um but i do think you can but be aware that something can happen um the segment about uh tatiana's murder and the stress it caused the parents, I just, um, it's very difficult to listen to. And, and I kind of, I, I don't kind of, I understand the pain and the aspect of, of parents in, in regards to losing a child as an attempted parent. I can't even imagine um, a scenario uh, like that, nor would I even try to. Uh, I just try to keep my son as codified and as aware as possible. Um, the segment about the Hager Convention sounds a little strange to me. Uh, just the fact that there, there are these warring parties sitting down and having a discussion about not destroying um, cultural icons of another country. But you can have a conversation about that, but you can't have a conversation and sit down how to not get into the war in the first place so that women and children and men don't die. I just, it just doesn't even seem rational. I, 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 it's just completely backwards to me. Um, the experimentation segment in regards to genes, uh, again, that's, a, that's another scary scenario because we don't know exactly how far they're willing to go and what they're willing to do to survive um, as quote unquote white people. Uh, I, I think that's an, another thing that we have to take into account when we actually give our blood or donate anything in regards to the medical system. Uh, 
The other segment about drinking, I think, was very, very important. It um, struck a chord with me because my family is West Indian, um, victims of white supremacy as well. And one of the staples, unfortunately, of the culture is, is heavy drinking. It's seen as some kind of macho thing to be a West Indian man and be able to, as they say, pardon me, metaphor, but hold your liquor. Um, I've stopped drinking. I, I had an, uh, a partner where she stopped and that influenced me. And I've since then, I don't drink anymore. It definitely does, it definitely does wonders for you as far as for your mental and physical health, sleeping especially, uh, something that I had a lot of trouble with, but I found out that your liver and sleep, the gallbladder are all well connected. So if you don't take care of those, you'll find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, needing to go to the bathroom and such forth. Um, but that, that's a very important segment. And I think we, we all should take that into mind and then figure out why you're drinking in the first place. That's a whole nother topic. Um, the last thing is the segment about Australia, um, the Aborigine in Australia. I thought that was an excellent quote. I can't, I was going to ask you if you could, um, uh, just reiterate where that quote, what segment was, was that from, was that from NPR or PBS or anything? But he said that his father told him that the white man, in order for the white man to find himself, it would lead to his destruction. And it reminded me from something from the planet of the apes, where there's a final scene where I believe it's Cornelia, the quote unquote so-called ape, black man, um, reads him a quote about white people and the fact that if you let them breed in great numbers, they will destroy your home and make a desert out of everybody else's. And it literally um, really came out uh, striking from, from that segment. I was just wondering if you had some information on that. I'd like to check in on that. And uh, just one thing, a book reading, um, reading Revolutionary Suicide. And so far, it's a very, very good book. I'm up to Chapter 7, and I'm not disappointed. I find myself reading it at night before I even go to sleep. Um, just something I thought would throw out there. And I, if anybody else is reading something else I, that's worth looking at by all means i'd like to hear it too i'm just looking into more and more as i continue my journey uh thank you gus uh thank you all callers and listeners for your patience uh peace reading is more important than watching television uh dr Huey p newton revolutionary suicide the uh segment on australia was indeed from npr and the quote Let's see. Make sure I read it correctly. So the person doing the talking, uh, believe this is a non-white male. Uh, his name is Noel Butler. He says uh, his father told him a long time ago that the white man may have to destroy himself in order to save himself. Butler is worried that may be coming true. And that's from NPR today. With their land in flames, aboriginals, non-white people, warn fires show deep problems in Australia. This is the segment where they were talking about being ignored, uh, where they had a uh, long history of knowledge on how to contain uh, these types of fires so that they don't happen, uh, and they're ignored. Like, get out of here. We got, you know, our criminal ancestors. We took over this place. We're in charge now. We got it. Our hooligans who were sent here. We got it. 
other folks who dialed in if you have suggestions questions comments to share line should be open proceed Can I be heard? Greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Greetings. Greetings to all the callers. Uh, DCS mentoring program. Uh, I uh, actually uh, showed up a little bit later than what I normally do. Uh, <clears throat> You know, sometimes I, uh, uh, I'm conflicted about whether I, I would attend or not attend, but it actually uh, gets on my conscience of not attending, uh, especially for the uh, vital importance of, of uh, non-white black males in a constructive manner, exchanging with one another. And so I uh, attended. Uh, Mr. Clark had on the agenda uh, uh, to talk about mental health with the uh, younger black males. Also, uh, there was a line of questions. Well, not just questions, but also uh, some things that are considered to be unique about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. As we know, his quote-unquote birthday celebration comes up. I don't know exactly when uh, because I don't celebrate uh, things, but uh, nevertheless, it's coming up pretty soon. And uh, uh, I think Channel 10, local Channel 10, would be interviewing uh, some of the uh, young fellas about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and we wanted them to be prepared for it. Three of my questions was more from a scientific nature, Uh, specifically what was Dr. King's main strategy into solving the problem of racism white supremacy? And uh, what is the name of the person that he adopted, adopted that theory from? Uh, I forgot what what the the third question was, but uh, these are some of the things that we did today. Uh, the last part of it, I left because they were going to something called a ice cream eating extravaganza. <laughs> and I decided not to go. Uh, to your question, uh, I have, uh, I would just say that I have uh, utilized law enforcement uh, uh, in uh, quote unquote domestic uh, issues uh, primarily to keep a record, an official quote-unquote record of uh, an incident. And uh, somewhere within their uh, uh, swearing in, quote-unquote, oath, they are also uh, supposed to be something called a peace officer, whatever that, whatever that exactly means. I'm not sure all the time. Uh, as the first female caller states, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, I actually had my uh, life threatened by one. 
uh, and, uh, you know, but, uh, I, uh, I would, I would suggest that it's done, uh, to keep a record and also for whatever that may be going on for a period of time, uh, that, uh, someone of authority shows up. And normally when white people show up to in an environment, uh, non-white people who were prior to that acting very foolishly stop almost immediately. I have seen it work wonders uh, on emergency calls myself. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, uh, retired firefighter. Uh, that keeping a record, that was what I said. I think it's important uh, just in case, because uh, sometimes you got with the repeat offenders is what they call it. That happens sometimes. It can be good to have a record um, to stop that behavior, and sometimes that's all it all it takes is one white person showing up with a badge, and you would be surprised how people who were real unruly can calm down immediately. That's exactly, it, takes. it works wonders. Mm-hmm. Not as tough as advertised i have seen that happen too so you know but like i said it is it can be uh it can it, it's not always perfect we are not calling peace officers that's why i say enforcement officers much obliged uh retired firefighter uh number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-pound press star 61 if you would like to participate other folks who dialed in if you have <clears throat> comments questions suggestions uh, if we've missed you totally proceed wow folks are getting their thoughts together I'm still trying to look through the chapter from the ISIS papers uh, to see if I can sign something that relates specifically to the segment on Australia. I was thinking we had a listener, long time listener mailed me this week. In fact, she was married in a tragic arrangement, married to a white man, suspected racist, no, no suspect. Uh, I think she would say that I might be wrong, but I suspect she would say that at this point. Um, She said that he would, he did, he would curse, but he would not say MF. She used that word and he got uncomfortable. And she said she immediately thought of Dr. Welsing uh, because she talked about the, the motherfucker and the original motherfucker. That's why I'm trying to flip through and see if I can find a cool paragraph to share from that segment. Uh, take me a little while. Anywho, uh, other folks that are with us, if you all that have hands up, people that we've missed totally, you all still getting your thoughts together or do you all have thoughts, questions to share? Can I be heard? Greetings, Imhan DC. Oh man. Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't know if my line was unmuted. Kind of eating some guacamole I had made. Um, but yeah, let me just step out 
what I wanted to say was uh, rather simple. I am an American. White people are not Americans. White people are not Australians. White people are not Africans. Americans are the black people in America. Black Americans are Americans and no one else. Uh, thank you. Much obliged, M. Hundisi. Quackable, that's generally on the plant based side, right on. Much better than all the other, or much of the other wackiness uh, that we will often be exposed to uh, edible things. Let's see. Yeah, it's going to take me a moment to flip through the chapter. If you have not read the ISIS papers, Keys to the Colors, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, uh, mandatory reading. I think you would learn quite a bit. You'll see a lot of references to Mr. Fuller. He's referenced in this uh, chapter, uh, the code book right at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I have to sit it down and see if I can flip through to find a section or two from this uh, paragraph pertaining to what we read covered this evening. Uh, while I'm taking some time, other folks who dialed in, hand up that we've missed totally. Comments, questions to share? Folks are preoccupied, I'm sure. Probably have some folks even enjoying... Thomas in New York, yes, sir. Good evening, everyone. Um, yes, I saw the report this week. It was a black woman. She was um, working at a fast food restaurant for, I think, $7 or something an hour. It wasn't a lot of money. And um, after she got off of work, a van comes and picks her up. Puts her in handcuffs. She gets in the van and they drop her off at a hotel. I believe this was in Alabama. I'm not in the house where my notes are. Um, this hotel has a wire fence all around it, and it's a debtor's prison. And this lady owes like two thousand dollars. So part of I'm giving her this job. Um, it, this is allowing her to pay back her um, debt. And on top of that, she has to pay out of the money $30 a night to stay at the hotel that they have her locked up in. And I said, wow, I mean, damn, we got debtors prisons in the United States. Uh, and it's, you know, part of those hotels. But I thought that was extremely interesting. Also, um, um, in the field of social services, where my wife works, um, one of her clients had a letter that came from the United States, uh, state of New York and the U.S. government. And they said that her lifetime, 60 months of collecting cash benefits is, is, is over. And um, quite a few people have gotten that letter in New York. And it's, um, they're enforcing a law that's been on the books. They haven't enforced it before. That over the duration of your lifetime, you only to collect um, cash benefits for 60 months. I had no idea of this. Um, the only entitlement you have is Medicaid and food stamps. But as far as cash benefits, that's not an entitlement. 
Um, extremely interesting. And um, I'll get my life now. My notes in the house. I had to step out. Much obliged. Uh, yeah, if we have time, if you're able to check out the notes, grand. Uh, the debtors present. I believe I did see a report on that this week uh, in Alabama specifically. I was checking uh, online uh, to see specifically, and it looks like they do have a number of reports about that in uh, Alabama. But I do uh, recall reading something about that uh, this week. Them coming up with these ingenious ways of penalizing. Uh, black people that they do not compensate well, don't allow to get, you know, high quality, <clears throat> high paying jobs uh, in the system of uh, racism. Uh, let's see. I'll give out the number again. 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Again, we should be here on Wednesday and I did email um, Andrea Freeman she was just with us uh, skimmed white woman uh, the white woman who switched to being so called Jewish uh, after I gave my definition of white supremacy racism I did email her with dates uh, to come back on the program where she'd be able to answer questions uh, we didn't uh, get an opportunity for her to uh, answer questions from listeners so if we can get once I figure out if we can get this date set up uh, we'll go to callers like immediately uh, if you're on the line right when the program starts we can go right to folks with questions uh, for Miss Freeman because I know we had uh, moms who have had their own terrorism with attempting to breastfeed parents in general uh, and folks who just you know had questions about her uh, performance I'll say on the broadcast uh, but I'll update date and time um, if we can get Miss Freeman back on the cows and again we should be here on Wednesday uh, skill in action other folks who are with us if you have comments questions suggestions proceed While folks are taking their time, getting their thoughts together and or uh, spectating again, May 21, May 24, Toronto, hopefully we'll be able to hang out and do some excellent, excellent plant based meals. Uh, wow. The food, I believe the YouTube video is posted, should be uh, on the blog. Uh, it has lots of slides from the retreat uh, you can see lots of the food you can see the gun range <laughs> that we went to you can see the Donald Trump uh, firearm uh, that I mentioned previously man if you uh, are interested if you're interested in trying out yoga with black people exclusively if you're in interested in trying out plant based meals if you're interested in courteous exchange of views about white supremacy, racism, plant-based meals, other constructive topics, and or visiting the city of Toronto. The Cows Retreat, May 21 through May 24. Drop an email if you would like details, updates. Whew. 
I am excited about going back to Toronto. It was fun in Florida. It was amazing to be in warm weather in the wintertime. But wow, Toronto when it's warm, great food, exercise. Looking forward. Springtime in Toronto. Hopefully we'll have folks who uh, also are trying to hang out and uh, exchange views, do a little yoga. Uh, or emails going to say update email until justice at gmail.com uh, for questions if you need more details all the information should be on the blog post I am so glad the caller who talked about uh, not consuming alcohol and talked about the benefits and how it impacts your sleep uh, that here uh, moron on this program sobriety would be best says that all the time Dr. Cambon talked about that on a pretty regular basis and he used to uh, connect it to sleep as well I'm sure he still does in talking about making sure we get adequate rest make sure you have your health and vitality uh, to go about solving the problem as opposed to staying up really late and partying and all that like that's not what we're here for that's not what we should that's not what we should be diverting our time and energy when war is being waged against us that's pretty much exactly the way that he's articulated it before man sobriety would be best try the 30 days even if you know you started late we had people at the uh, yoga retreat in Florida they said this is the first time that I have been sober on a New Year's for years we had folks who said that and they said that they enjoyed it had a great time but they said that exactly in the segment, how uh, ubiquitous, like you can't sit around and watch a football game without, you know, having a beer or a few shots or whatever it is. You can't ring in the New Year's without champagne and all the rest of it just to make that ubiquitous toxifying your body. How about drink more water? How about just get water that doesn't have all the lead in it? How about that? And see how you feel as opposed to all that alcohol, which just is going to further uh, dehydrate you and destroy your liver and all the rest we missed 10 days it doesn't matter you can try it see how you feel just go see how you feel after 30 days and then you heard the folks who said hey I slept better I lost a few pounds I don't feel as mentally sluggish wow even if I am going to drink a little bit I'm not going to drink as much I have a little bit of moderation in my drinking now sobriety would be best other folks uh, who have comments, questions, suggestions, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Oh, I'm sorry. You can go. Oh, yes. Appreciate that. Um, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I just wanted to speak on a few things from the audio segment. Uh, I think it was one part where I think it was the, was it the basketball coach? I think that got the, uh, the word nigger put on um, his vehicle. And I think it looks like it, it was a minor, I guess, or the person was 18 or under something. Uh, Cause I've seen on the news sometimes where they'll put, black child's uh, image all over the screen or whatever. They'll uh, publish it on um, news broadcast. And I think sometimes that can be a, a means that while people will practice racism, uh, 
but the person did seem like he uh, had some black self-respect to a degree, in my opinion. Uh, he still said he was going to address it with the team, and I don't know how else he was going to uh, speak on the issue. Um, the next one is the the segment about the, uh, the black people being pulled over, I think, in California. I think it said they were they only accounted for 6% of the population, but I'm not sure what the percentage was on how they're getting uh, pulled over. Um, it just shows that racism, white supremacy definitely dominates that situation as well. And I believe the person said everyone, everyone has biases, but that still doesn't, <laughs> that still doesn't really uh, affect how it doesn't explain why is it that black people end up being treated the way that we do, even when they're saying black and brown, yeah, uh, black people, other non-white people, yeah, they get mistreated as well. But what is the reasoning for this? Like, what's the catalyst for this? I mean, obviously it's racism, but if we're having a conversation, you know, why do, why does comments like that have to uh, be added into the conversation like that? So that can be a means for confusion and, um, one last thing is that the segment about Iran and the, uh, the military conflict or white supremacy, uh, that white woman that was on there, she practiced racism. She said, I don't know if it was in that segment, but she said they analyzed the George W. Bush and Obama administration. She didn't even say President Obama or Barack Obama but she said the white person's whole name. And she also mentioned about as far as the uh, religious institutions or the um, religious buildings or whatever, she said that, oh, well, you know, we're not those kind of people. We'll leave that to ISIS and the Taliban. But as you just said, uh, Gus, about Dylan Roof and the uh, white woman, a uh, white female down in Georgia, you know, they're doing these things all the time. You know, uh, that's another thing Dr. King was uh, experiencing in a lot of black people at that time and up till now, uh, a lot of brutality, a lot of racist hostility, black people being killed and only allowed to go to certain churches. And they can only mention the Notre Dame and uh, the religious buildings that white people frequent a lot. But black people aren't being mentioned uh and that's all i have for now thanks for allowing me to share much obliged uh caller in florida very important in terms of uh because I, there's been tons of cases not just the central park five uh in fact i was thinking of uh toya graham remember the mom of the year where they had her son uh all over the news he was a minor uh, and they had him all over the news, named him and congratulated his mom for brutalizing him. Uh, and he wasn't, I don't think he was charged with a crime. I don't think he had been arrested for anything. He was just upset about black people being brutalized, you know, Freddie Gray and such. Uh, but it's tons of examples where black minors, they do get identified. White minors. Hmm. 
You who scrabbled nigger on the car? Oh, yo, yes, it was, yes. Poor fella. He'll be rehabilitated, and this will never happen again. They have uh, bias training. That was important, too. We talked about the uh, bias. We all have bias. I feel like that's so critical. Compensatory calling. We're supposed to be paying attention to words. Uh, this is not the context of bias. That's not what this is. This is context of white supremacy. It is extraordinarily different. And whites, in my view, they know the difference between saying that it's bias and it's white supremacy racism. Everybody is biased about all kinds of things. That in no way is what we're talking about with these disproportionate stops. And make sure I add in, I always put the laugh track in for these type of segments because they present it as though this is news. Don't they say all the time that white people are ignorant, that white people don't know about this? How can that be? They have reports about this all the time and going back decades. Mr. Fuller always talks about the Kerner report. That's a big part of the Kerner report that the police are using their nigger knockers and messing over black people. Like, how is it that white people don't know? Of course they know. Like, they know. And as James Lowen says in his book, they know and applaud this behavior. And in fact, I contend these reports at times, I think. They are just whites letting other whites know the system is working well as it should. You heard those numbers. We are pulling over Negroes left and right. Oh, yeah. Things are working well. Don't be alarmed. Maybe I'm wrong. M. Hunt DC, thank you for yielding the floor, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so I wanted to uh, a few things. The gun. Um, of course, I'm going to recommend the uh, Glock 19 as your weapon. Get a Glock. And then if you need a second gun, get another Glock. Um, unless you're getting a rifle or a shotgun. That's my suggestion. Um, and a, for instance, I've heard a lot of white people talk about, and I've mentioned it before, but if there was a, the unfortunate event that there um, was shooting, and you, um, you had a group that you were with, uh, fam- family members, friends, whatever it is. If you ha- all have different guns, when one runs out of ammunition, that person no longer can shoot. Um, and then eventually, so then if you all have the right gun, if you all have the same gun, the same model, if you all have Glocks and you can interchange magazines, one person runs out of magazines, throw that person a magazine. Same thing if there's the unfortunate situation where um, um, shooting has happened. Uh, there's been a, a fight between sides. Most people have Glocks. So the magazines that they drop on the ground are my, most likely going to be Glock magazines. And you can pick those up. Um, hopefully, we can avoid violence. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to say was... I am an American, and I say that because it's important. White people are not Americans. They are invaders here. But whenever they do something in America, most people in the world will say America did the action that white people did, when in fact it was white people who did it. They'll say that Australia did the actions that white people did. They'll say that Africa did the actions that white people did or South America, or one of the Caribbean islands. 
or anywhere in the world when it's actually white people who are doing it, not us. There's even people who say that <laughs> black people <laughs> came up with this whole plan for white people to have white supremacy over everybody. And I say that's absolute nonsense. Um, white people are capable and, and have, have been able to conquer this entire planet this entire universe that we know of, they've conquered it, we're conquered. But, um, but my point of, my point was just, they're not Americans. They have to leave here, they're invaders. They do not have title to the land or they're not supposed to have title to the land. The title to the land, the land ownership and the control of the land is supposed to be Black people having that title, control, and ownership of the land. White people are not supposed to be here at all. I even have to call them white people. I can't call them something else. They tell me what I have to call them, you know? But anyway, um, there's more I can say, but uh, those are the main things that are on my mind. Thank you. <clears throat> Much obliged, Imhan DC context of white supremacy that is an important one indicting it's whites specifically when things are done whites specifically doing this for the white race in support of the system of white supremacy that is important very important uh, let's see number again 605-313-5164 the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate if you have questions suggestions thoughts you'd like to share make sure you do not wait until the last minute uh, go ahead and get your hand up if you think you have something you would like to contribute to the broadcast uh, if you dialed in if you've spoken or not if you have commentary you would like to add feel free Hello. Irie in Louisiana. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So I'm not sure who the person was speaking <clears throat> after me, but I wanted to let him know that um, but the book I'm reading right now is The Torture Report, a graphic adaptation by Stuart Jacobson. And it is a very, very, very truncated um, and illustrated version of the Senate, um, basically that, that report that the Senate conducted where um, they went into from like as far back as maybe even 2001 um, to about 2014 during um, uh, Mr. Obama's presidency, the torture um, committed by the CIA. Um, so that's what I'm reading, and um, in regard to um, uh, weapons, um, you've got to have a handgun. Well, it's a suggestion, but from my experience and from knowing other people in the military and um, uh, non-white black police officers, for home defense, of course, you, you have, well, for personal protection, you have a handgun you do need to get some type of rifle as well. And Mr. D.C. is correct. Like, everybody, if 
So, for instance, if you have a fire team, which is like four or five people at least, um, and everybody has the same type of handgun, and everybody has the same type of uh, uh, rifle, then that would be good. But you can't, if, if something were to happen, in other words, if there was a catastrophic event and we're at zero, I'm sorry, well, if we're back to basic hunter-gathering and with guns, you would need uh, a rifle for it. And um, I personally enjoy shooting from long distances. I shoot better um, at those distances, so I plan on having at least um, two types of rifles. And Gus, um, white people love six out. They love them. Um, Gander Mountain keeps the silencers on sale. They keep um, the handguns on sale with incentives that, oh, get a, get a gun and we'll give you a $200, you know, gift card. And um, I do try to take advantage of those opportunities, but it, it is quite awkward going into um, that store um, when everybody's white. <laughs> like everybody's white, customers, employees and stuff. But um, you got to do what you got to do. So I can only imagine going to the range alone. I definitely wouldn't go to the range alone. And I'll mute my line. Uh, thank you, everybody. We were told that the range, the six-hour two-two-six that we were shooting with, that is the Navy SEALs, that is their side weapon, even though he had already given us the caveat. That is a bit bulky. It's not a good weapon for concealed carry. I was even thinking, like, is that the default that you're thinking with a sidearm? It's immediately, can I use this for concealed carry? Like, wow. <laughs> okay. But you did say that that is the Navy SEAL weapon of choice. So I'm sure a number, Chris Kyle, I just played the sound saying, uh, Chris Kyle, I'm sure for a number of whites, that would be reason enough that I want me one of the, give me the same thing Chris Kyle had. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, who are with us, if you have, uh, comments, suggestions, questions you wanted to share. I guess I'll, I got confused. I don't know if the switchboard is misbehaving or not. Four, four, nine, three, six. Were you just listening or did you have a question? We'll assume they're just listening. No worries. If you uh, have questions, suggestions, star six, one, and we'll get you on the line. Uh, other folks who are with us, did you have comments to share? Hello, can you hear me? Uh, Thomas in New York, yes, sir. Oh, okay. Oh, are you there? Well, I did hear you. Now I do not. You were there. Are you? Are you still with us, Thomas in New York? Looks like you're still on the switch. Hello. Okay, we can hear you now. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, I, I was reading a book recently. Um, oh man, you're uh, like breaking up. It's like you you'll be there for a second or two, and it'll break up and go back out. Yeah, see, we're not hearing you at all now. I don't know. Hello. Are you? Hello? Yep, we can hear you now. 
okay, I had to put it on speakerphone. Um, the Bluetooth isn't picking up. I said, I've been reading a book. Um, I heard someone mention it on a, a on a um, YouTube. So it's called um, the Pink Swastika, and it deals with um, homo um, homosexuality and the Nazis. And it's it's really about um, the LGBT um, movement and the feminism movement. We see today. This book was written in '95, so it's pretty much laying out the movement we're seeing today. It's, it's very interesting. Um, um, the they coming out thus with impossible pork. So for all you reggies, you know, get your impossible pork. Uh, remember, all impossible foods, they are um, they have a synthetic ingredient called heme, H-E-M-E, which gives the impression to the brain that you're eating actual beef or meat, in this case, pork. It, it gives the, the, the taste of blood to the taste buds, and your body secretes the natural chemicals it would take to break down um, that meat. And it's not getting the meat, so those chemicals stay in your body, and they could cause long-term health effects. So, impossible has pork now. Um, we always say um, everyone in the known universe, and as you see, the push that the white supremacists are going to is space, um, to the point where even the president himself he has created the space force. Um, um, so. Um, as far as I see, it's very well funded. Um, I see uh, Elon Musk with his SpaceX company. They're putting up 60 satellites um, called Starlink, um, 60 satellites every two weeks. Um, he has 182 of them up in the sky now. And he's, his plan is to put 12,000 up by the middle of June, uh, 42,000 by 2021. So um, just be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, they're definitely to the point now where they're ready to take on other people in the known universe um, and spread this um, white supremacy. Maybe if there's other people out there, they'll also have um, George Washington and other terrorists on their money. Uh, as far as um, Congress, what I saw them do this week, um, I never saw them limit a president's power to defend the country. Very interesting, especially since um the Democrats were the ones who put the guy on the terrorist watch list to start with um, under the last administration. So just very interesting how everything is playing out. Um, the president says he's going to attack um, these um, historical sites and things. And, you know, I said, man, you know, uh, they destroyed all our historical sites. So, you know, go ahead, you know, do what you do. Um but it just didn't seem logical to me because we all know that uh, before they destroy your sites, they, they pillage it. Um, they're going to take all the valuable stuff out. Um, so I never looked at this as being something that was really going to be a war. In fact, it seems like it's all being staged, like there's some type of deal in the background that's already been made. Um, and um, uh, I'm getting a lot of these commercials here in the New York area. And they show a bunch of black people in these commercials supporting Mike Bloomberg. Oh, he was such a great mayor. And I'm thinking to myself, have they forgotten? Like, are, 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 is our memory that short? You know, are we that anti-Trump that will support someone who did what he did to us here? Um, but either way, um, Mr. Bloomberg, just for um, political points, uh, he's not seriously trying to run for president. Uh, the Democrats can't raise any money. 
and uh, he only could give a certain amount as a private donor. So by him entering the race, he could put his own money into the race and um, in certain states. That's why, that's why he's in there, to put money in there. It's nothing serious. Um, and I'll mute my line. Thank you. Much obliged. The Pink Swastika, written by Scott Lively, guest on the context of white supremacy, January 14th, 2011. Been here for a decade. Uh, let's see. Other folks who have comments to share should be with us. Thomas, people want to know how to listen to your show, people on YouTube. So if you could share that, please. Maybe he Maybe he muted. Are you with us, Thomas, in New York? Maybe he muted? Oh, I'm sorry. I had the mute button. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to access that content via YouTube. I do a show uh, on someone else's network. She just invites me back every week to continue on where I left off at. Um, but it's called Truth to Power. Truth to Power on Block Talk Radio. And her name is Beverly D. Um, she's been um, on Block Talk for about 12 years doing conscious type um, content. Um, and you can find it in the archive there. I'm not sure if anyone uploads her information to YouTube or not, though. Truth to Power, Beverly D. Much obliged. Let's see. The person 4936. 4936. Did you have questions, suggestions, thoughts to share? Yes, sir. Uh, I do have a question. I know that iTunes has not been uh, working correctly, uh, loading the shows. It'll load the shows but they won't play uh, any more than five minutes. It'll like, run through very quickly, and then Marcus played on it. Do you have any information on that? iTunes has been not working correctly off and on for the duration, as have many sites. We've been disrupted, I think I said before, um, with the cows, really with any content that is of constructive value, especially if they're talking about white supremacy, racism, you can expect disruptions. Uh, the content is also the cows archives are also at YouTube, Google play, SoundCloud, black talk radio network, lots of outlets. So if iTunes, I do load the content there, but if it's not working, that is beyond me. Uh, it has, there have been problems intermittently for a very long time. I'll email and sometimes they respond. Sometimes they don't. This happened with some of the other platforms that we're on as well. Uh, again, we are not just on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Google play, black talk radio network, YouTube. Uh, and I think the platforms are all current unless I am misinformed. So if iTunes is not working, definitely check out one of the other sites uh it it could be that they disrupt all of them that might happen too but it should be at least one uh should be functional Uh, i hope uh if if you still run into difficulties you can drop an email until justice at gmail.com and it might even be uh helpful maybe uh for folks who listen for you all to email 
iTunes and let them know, like, man, I'm trying to listen to this uh, podcast. It's constructive. What is the problem? Why is there always an issue with the feed not working? The podcast is being uploaded, but it's not playing in its entirety because these problems get fixed intermittently and somehow it begins working perfectly. So that's something as well for folks who listen. If the iTunes feed is not working correctly, maybe they'll be more receptive if other listeners email them as well. But those are the only they they might be lame suggestions. But that is uh, all that I am able to do at this point. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube, Black Talk Radio Network, uh, among other outlets, and perhaps emailing iTunes as well to see if they'll be a bit more responsive if listeners write them their frustrations about the content not playing. I'll take that. Uh into consideration. I think I'll do that. Uh, I also have a comment. Excuse me. I haven't listened to the show as consistently as I used to, but I do want to say that I've learned a lot of things from the show. Um, I appreciate uh, your broadcast. One of the things that stands out the most to me is the effectiveness of correct speech. If you want to see a white person become totally unhinged without any physical interaction. Speak correctly and do your best to get clarity from them. And I've learned that between you and Mr. Fuller and it works. Uh, it works to, to, to it works to get the clarity, which is most important to me. And um, I just want to say thank you. That's it. Much obliged, good sir. Clarity. <laughs> Trying to be precise. Using words correctly. That's something I uh, say consistently with the compensatory call-in, that that is hugely important, especially when talking to white people. Even when talking with other victims sometimes, just trying to mm-hmm. use words correctly, uh, that can can help solve a lot of problems and it can be a great method of self-defense especially when you have people that are trying to be deceptive uh, around you just using correct terms asking questions spectacular Uh, I will update folks if I get any additional information uh, about iTunes or it seems like it's working I will definitely continue to make sure that the iTunes feed is at least current so that people can see oh Okay, the programs are rolling. Content is being uploaded. If it's not playing here, at least I can, you know, as I said, YouTube and SoundCloud and Google Play, Black Talk Radio Network, all the other platforms that should be working. I can go and check out one of those and get the content if you think it is worthy of your time and energy. Uh, Let's see. Ivy should be with us. Did you have commentary to share? Um. Greetings, Gus, and greetings to all the callers on the line. Oh, I just wanted to ask if you have the program with uh, Dr. Yaba Blay from March 25th, I believe it is, of 2014. The um, link is broken on Black Talk Radio Network. I will I have to go in and check the Black Talk Radio Network link to see if it's working uh, or not. Uh, I think Yaba Blay was with us in 2009 
I'll have to go. I'll have to look at that link again and check the date. Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but she should have been, I think she was with us in 2009, kind of towards the end of the year. I'll double check. Maybe I'm off with my dates. And either way, if the link isn't working, I'll double check the dates and then I'll, I'll see if we can get the link working correctly. <clears throat> Okay, thank you. I'm gonna actually look that up if it's uh 2009 because I think I can get it if 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 that's the case. But yeah, thanks so much, Gus. I'm your mom. For sure. If you have problems with the archives, if it's a pro, that's why I said you know it's been going on for a long time. The disruptions with the archives. We've been kicked off the air while we were live broadcasting. Uh, expect massive interference if you are attempting to address the system of white supremacy racism expect massive interference but yes we'll uh go back and see if we can uh see what's up with the link yabba blay dr yabba blay hmm. real quick if it, if it was a uh, 2009 do you have any idea when the month might be i was thinking october but i might be in error it's been it's been a long time. I was thinking October, but that could be inaccurate. Okay, I'll start there. Thanks. I'll meet my wife. Yes, ma'am. Uh, let's see. We, in our about last 20 minutes or so, if any folk, uh, folks that are listening, if you have other suggestions, questions, comments, uh, problems, ask, ask, accessing uh, archived content uh, or any other commentary that you want to make sure you share last few moments uh, number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate uh, folks that are with us uh, if you have a hand up uh, did you any of the folks that are with us with a hand up have comments, questions that they want to make sure they get in. Gus, real quick, um, October for uh, uh, 09, that's actually Yaffa Bay, W. I mean Y-A-F-F-A, I think, B-E-Y, I just looked it up. Uh, I was talking about Dr. Yaba Bay, which is uh, Y-A-B-A, uh, and I think B-L-A-Y or something like that. You get what I'm saying in terms of the difference? I see. I see. The similarity in the names got me there. Two, I, yes. Yep, 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 yep. Two different uh, broadcasts. I still have to go back and dig through uh, Black Talk Radio for uh, 2014 is when the Yaba Play archive was not working at Yeah, Black yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, March 25th, I believe, 2014. Uncle All righty. I'm working my way <clears throat> through the pages, so I'll see if it's there or not. And if it's working, if it's not, we'll swap it out and see if we can get it functional again. I think she did have, if I remember correctly, I think she did have pretty good information. She, she I think on that was talking about being patient with other black people. If I remember correctly, she was saying uh, people were fussing at Little Wayne <clears throat> for some of the comments that he made about uh, black people. <clears throat> I think dark complexion uh, black females and she was saying you know as much melanin as he has, I'm sure he has been mistreated and heard quite a few things in his life, particularly before he became uh, Little Wayne <clears throat> Uh, and she was sent being patient with other victims, 
patient with other victims. Absolutely. I have to go back and make sure I get the link working for that one because I thought that was really important. Something I try to echo on the broadcast, even if that was 2014, six years later, continue to try to echo patience with other victims of white supremacy. Uh, other folks, comments, questions that they want to get in? Captain Thomas in New York. Yes, um, Akiana Jefferson played the clip. Um, I think the stress and the pain from her death was her father's death. And I think um, the inability of her to take care of her mother could have um, led to her mother's um, demise um, as soon as it did. Um, she quit her job and uprooted her life to go help take care of her mother. Um, so I think um, a chain of events that, you know, um, is unfortunate. However, I don't rule out um, the usual suspects uh, because um, I got the vibe um same vibe I got from Eric Gardner, you know, all his family members just started passing um, before he was able to, well, he didn't get any justice, um, but before the, you know, at least they, they rendered a verdict or anything. Um, so, um, you know, I felt like that was terrible. Also, the wildfires in Australia, um, the other day I'm at work and there's a bunch of people from all around the different offices for certain meetings at the job and, um, this one guy says he's from Milburn. So I said, oh, are you affected by the wildfire? No, not at all. I said, oh, he said, we get a little stick smoke, but, you know, that's usually out where the um, more indigenous people live. So I said, oh, okay, okay. You know, so um, white people aren't suffering. Um, I think that the people suffering over there are the people that they um, stole the land from to start with. Um, those are those people who are left as they killed off quite a few um you know, mostly all of them for the most part. But, um, you know, um, we saw the wildfires in California, Brazil. Um, I don't find any of this to be coincidences under the system of white supremacy um, that all of these um, areas are burning at the same time. Um, it, it just doesn't seem logical that, um, you know, this is happening without white people being involved. In fact, in Brazil, the president of Brazil, uh, after the wildfire started there in the Amazon, he blamed Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, um, the NGO, which is a non-governmental agency, those groups that go to other countries claiming that they're helping people, but really they're causing all the problems. Um, and he's a major um, person that does that. Him, Clooney, um, Angelina Jolie, all over the world causing problems for the U.S. government if you watch them, but uh, he blamed Leonardo DiCaprio for causing the fires. And I, I believe him because I know what those NGOs do. So I, I'm not surprised um, that they're doing this. Uh, and I'll mute my mind. Thank you. It would not surprise me in a system of white supremacy if what he just reported, if somehow these fires are happening uh, on the continent island uh, of Australia and somehow the smoke uh, and all of the trauma from this is somehow disproportionately impacting the dark people. That would not stun me at all. Uh, let's see. We have had folks be on the program from Australia before. That is in the archives. And just with the archives, the Yabba Blay program is almost finished uploading to Black Talk Radio Network. So the link should be working in the archives if you check it again. I'll post it on social media right now. Uh, retired firefighter, proceed, sir.
Yes, sir. Uh, those type of fires can be uh, devastating. They actually can move faster than you can run. If you thought about running as a means of escape, uh, even with your automobile, uh, it could be uh, quite treacherous of an experience. Uh, as a firefighter, you do more work with that type of fire than a building or a house fire. Uh, did you make any reports on the recent uh, earthquakes in Puerto Rico? That, that was a question. Sir, did you hear me? No, sir. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that also, I think, something that may be co connected with the races also. Uh, because I've never heard of that, uh, as many earthquakes in this part of the world, uh, in and around the Caribbean, Florida area, as such, as in Puerto Rico and, quote-unquote, uh, Haiti, uh, which is two places that uh, is filled with people who would be considered to be non-white. Um yeah, uh, that was just some thoughts that I had on, on uh, about the fires in Australia. Um, that's it. Much oh, oh, well, one more thing. Uh, I don't, I, because I, I, uh, I, I text you uh, about. Uh, I, I believe you left with me uh, a uh, yoga mat, and uh, I, I was just questioning on what. You wanted me to? Did you want me to send it to you via mail? Uh you can hang on to it. I didn't think I would be able to fly back uh, with it, or at least I wasn't uh, going to stress too much about trying to cram it down into my bag because I had mailed it uh, in advance. I didn't travel oh, okay. with it, uh, so I said, minimum, "I can send it to you in the mail." Eh, it's not that you know big a deal. Not that big of a deal. If you okay. uh, find some, maybe your offspring or you'll bump into someone else, you'll have a yoga mat at the ready. Like, you can come with me and we can practice yoga. I already have a mat. You have no excuse. We can go practice right now. You'll be ready to roll with an extra yoga mat. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> share yoga. Share yoga. Share yoga. Um, let's see. Uh, we have like 10 minutes. So if any folks, anything else, if you want to make sure that you get in, Yoga Retreat, May 21 to May 24. We'll be in Toronto. Uh, anything else that you want to make sure you get in, feel free. Yeah, I had something to say about the earthquakes. Um, well, in, in my research, I find that the United States has the ability to cause earthquakes um, through a machine that they have called HAARP, H-A-A-R-P. And they also have a version of HAARP that's on a, um, a, a ship like on a big boat it looks like a it looks like the epcot center in disney world floating around the ocean um now um if you look it up the the when you use this heart machine and you can tell if they use it it's sites that track it and everything um heart tracker and things like that you can look it up uh you can see the change in the atmosphere the erotic flow just get very dark so as you can tell that something's going on there. Um, it goes from like green to purple and dark reds and things like that. 
Um, usually when they use this machine purposely, it has um, effects that they can't control that might hit other places. If you look up um, Iran, Iran got hit with two earthquakes the day after they shot the missiles. Um, the day that they did shoot the missiles that night, they got hit with two earthquakes that happened to hit their two nuclear facilities. You could look that up. They'll be on CNN and all those news sites. Two earthquakes that hit the sites where they have their nuclear facilities. So um, pretty much damaged their nuclear capabilities. Um, so it didn't surprise me. I was looking for an earthquake somewhere else in Puerto Rico pops up like that. That's probably what caused that. That's what I think. But you can look it up. Iran gets hit with two earthquakes, ironically, that hit the two cities where they housed their nuclear facilities. Um, and um, no one put this on the news like that. They put it in print, but they didn't go on the news and show the damage or anything. So um, I think that this had something to do with man-made um, intervention. Would not be surprising, <clears throat> excuse me, given the system of white supremacy. Drink more water. Do that myself. Drink more water. Uh, other folks have comments that they want to get in last about seven minutes or so. Can I be heard? M. Han DC. Yes, sir. Quickly. I wanted to say, um, I don't know if you, I can't remember if you mentioned uh, the current white people who say that they're the royal family. Uh, the quote-unquote prince guy, guy who calls himself the prince, left um, left Britain with the woman that he's raping, the black woman, and went to, uh, I, I think it's Canada, or maybe she's just in Canada and he's going to meet up with her. Something along those lines. And that uh, white people are currently the people who, you know, control everything. So, I mean, they are the king's and the gods and everything. But um, the original royal family was taken over to the Americas and that most of the Americans, in my estimation, have royal blood, you know, uh, the royal blood that used to be. Uh, and then I wanted to, I wanted to say about the fires, I had Googled um, forest fires before, especially like back when the California fires were going on. And I think I remember reading that most of the fires are man-made or started by a person, as in white people start these fires. That's, that's just what they do. They start fires. They, they can cause tsunamis. There was a tsunami that hit a, um, a nuclear plant in another country. White people cause that. They cause earth, earthquakes. They wipe out entire groups of people. They genocide. That's their main goal is genocide. They go to all these different continents, and they genocide us. They have to leave. Uh, okay, thank you. Context of white supremacy. Uh, again, we will be here Wednesday. Uh, skill in action. Uh, black female, like I said, very popular with... Uh, the white chicks who practice yoga in my area they love this book reference it all the time uh the author black female victim of white supremacy she'll be with us this uh here wednesday hopefully we'll have electricity and power and we'll not be snowed in or anything wacky uh with the weather uh but michelle cassandra johnson she you can check out her ted talk online uh other folks anything else they want to get in before we conclude 
Last thing, Gus, um, just to touch on what MHDC was just talking about, um, I think I reported a few weeks ago, I've been observing some of the racist um, activity going on um, by what the British would call the tabloid and uh, how, um, you know, outright racist you're treating Meghan Markle, um, which has even caused um, rift in the family, the royal family. So now they're leaving the royal family, um, in the tabloid of white supremacists, not even a suspect. Piers Morgan um, has been ripping her um, in the in the media or in their tabloids. Um, she, she's breaking up the royal family and all of this. So the poor fans, the poor people, they have to go and live on their own now. They have to give up their stipend from the queen with three to five million dollars a year. Um, he has a trust fund worth. Um, 14 to 20 million dollars left by his mother and he's the duke of whatever which is a i think an annual income of 1.3 billion dollars so i don't think he's going to need a job you know but um i just found it very interesting that they come to america because they could not avoid the racism in um britain as powerful as he is duke and duchess of sussex i believe Tragic arrangement. Uh, we did a broadcast uh, in the middle of teacher training <laughs> with uh, Renithia Tate. Pieces of a puzzle talked about their whole tragic situation and the racism uh, Megan Merkel uh, has faced uh, from the marriage all the way through the ceremony and all of that. No surprise there. Tragic arrangement. And they, I remember when they got married. I was using the hashtag royal tragedy, but they were saying this is, you know, vanquishing racism. Even little black girls can be a queen and a duchess and all the rest of it. That's what they were saying. That normal nonsense that they will use. Uh, that was, what, a year and some change? Not that long ago. Uh, last 60 seconds. Anybody else comments they need to get in before we conclude? May I be heard? Caller in Florida. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you very much. Just really quick. Uh, what I've noticed is that on the uh, the news reports about North Korea and the non-white person in that area, how they have the president uh, portrayed as not really uh, having much of a concern with that segment of non-white people, but different segment of non-white people, or we have to go and do more bombing. So just... Um, something I've been paying attention to as well. Uh, and that's pretty much all I have to share. Thank you. Much obliged caller in Florida. Uh, 30 seconds. Uh, if anybody's interested, uh, the, uh, the great year of NFL quarterback Lamar Jackson has just ended with a defeat in the playoffs. Still in a it's a great season, not career. <laughs> season. Still in a system of white supremacy. Uh, yes, sir. Root for Russell Wilson tomorrow. Win or lose, still in a system of white supremacy. Won't root too hard. My observation from living around here is game day is generally a scary time for Gus T, especially if it's 
uh, an evening game whites and their guns any excuse will do to fire a weapon a firearm a pistol Russell Wilson got a touchdown we got to go outside and shoot a gun uh, there's been enough of that over the years that have uh, a little bit of PTSD around game day uh, I've had enough of those experiences particularly when you are not watching the game and or you have forgotten that the Seahawks are playing and then kapow cannons are going off and shots are fired in the night like what is oh woo! don't know if it's another Tulsa Oklahoma or what is going on it's battle simulation for their ball that's another chapter in the ISIS papers whites and their ball games well, well the most protected the most protected area in the world would take place about a mile and a half from my place of residence the Super Bowl mm. in February the ball games indeed we will call it a broadcast much obliged for folks tuning in hope it was worthy of your Saturday evening we will be back on Wednesday uh, victim of racism uh, we will discuss her book skill in action uh, Michelle Cassandra Johnson uh, the book is not very long so I guess if you have a few free moments between now and then and you want to read it it's short especially I guess if you're into yoga I know we do have some cows listeners who practice yoga even teach yoga skill in action if you want to read and prepare check it out goes over the sutras and what have you I think if you're uh, into yoga you'll you know get something from that perspective anyway that's Wednesday 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific we will be back in the meantime much obliged for everyone's participation it was said repeatedly this evening but it cannot be said enough sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy in addition to being sober let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle passenger or driver Uh, let's do everything that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, a badge or no. In addition to being sober and buckled up, if you are driving, you are not on the cell phone. Again, just trying to do the little things that we can to keep ourselves as safe as possible. With that, hopefully the weather will not be too wacky. Uh, we will, at minimum, we will keep electricity and Wi-Fi, bare minimums. Uh, With that, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim Your brother you a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my condition mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned <laughs> With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.